what does it mean to be a Swindon Town fan? We don't stick with our club through thick and thin because of the endless trophy presentations, a fog of perpetual glory or a conveyor belt of multi-million pound signings queuing up to sign on around the county ground boardroom table. I like to think there's certain events that symbolise exactly what Swindon Town supporting experience is all about. None more so than the events which unfolded between 3pm and 5pm one very cold Saturday 28th of November 2020. With the world in lockdown, our football club gave us a moment none of us will forget. An immortal night for every single Swindon Town supporter to treasure. Passion, irony, despair, triumph, unlikely heroes, pantomime villains, beloved loanees, gut-wrenching drama, against the odds heroism, lagging I follow, and score notifications Mystic Meg would have been proud of. Ultimately, a sliver of utter red and white delight. That, dare I say it, was so taboo, only a few of us can say they were actually, legally, part of it, all the celebrations that followed. There was, of course, the seemingly inevitable plummeting low further down the line, but let's not get that. Let's not let that get in the way of Ferrytown night up the A420. A night so delightfully Swindon Town that I named a show after both it and its main protagonist. Well, this isn't about winning a local derby and securing Tim Pot bragging rights. As one of the wisest football men once said, it's much more important than that. Or as another one also said, football bloody hell well welcome to a night of merry broadbent of happy tyler smith day of happy birthday very first birthday to the saton broadbent lounge a night of lifting the hood on that most transcendental of nights and what it means to us our loved ones and our footballing psyche both collective and individual moving forward well look get in touch tell us your memories your stories your reflections of cherished memories with loved ones with a country under the greyest of clouds, this was one hell of a silver lining. So come and tell us your stories, and the best ones will win a Sir Tom Broadbent Lounge goodie bag full of money-can't-buy one-off treats. So joining me is a beautiful smorgasbord of Sir Tom Broadbent Lounge talent, and we'll start by saying hello to Crispy. Hello. How are we doing, Hannes? How are we doing? <laughs> I'm, I'm reflective. I'm nostalgic. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this, Chris. It's been a, a, a year in the a year in the making. So hopefully we're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, yes, we certainly will. And um, well, there's lots to talk about, isn't there? Yes, there certainly is. And, and joining Crispy and I is uh, on co-hosting duties tonight is Ellis. How are we, Tramp? Good evening, one and all. I am looking forward to this show. I should hope you are. Nothing better than a good bit of pox bashing. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, very much. And thanks for joining us, Ellis. Appreciate no off your latest all. training camp, mate. Appreciate you cutting it short. And and last but by no means least, we have the inimitable Joseph Vincent. Joe, how are we? Hello, Hannahs. Happy Broadbent. Happy Merry Broadbent. Happy Tyler Smith Day. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we Tyler Smith, you know, a... He gets some small shouts out, but we both know it was a Tom Broadbent double that day. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, at the end of the day, he's got to know his place, right? We all know who was the loney in that part of the mix. So, uh, yeah, listen. Yeah, so, um, well, listen, I mean, it, I, I, it would be remiss of me. It's, it's a night that we all own, right? It would be remiss of me to um, start sort of like stamping my memories on the piece. 
But uh, I thought no better way for us to start than by asking that question that we all kind of pretty much know the answer. Where were you, gentlemen, on the 28th of the 11th, 2020? I'm pretty sure I know where you were, but you guys, te- you guys set the scene for me. Someone go first because I've got a bit of a sad one. I thought I'd start on a sad note. Okay, I'll, I'll go first. What, mine's pretty boring, obviously, at home. Uh, game on the TV. Um, and that was about it. But mental scenes, when, obviously, when we scored. But, yeah, I, I, I was just at home. Pretty boring. Yeah. There's a reason I've asked this question. Chris, where were you? I was, um, unfortunately, well, I was at home, but I was actually working. But... Um, the beauties of iFollow allowed me to watch it while I was working. And for about 85 minutes, I was pretty miserable. But then for yeah. about five minutes, I was totally ecstatic. Yeah. yeah. Joe, I know you said you, you wanted to leave yourself till the end, but whereabouts were you, pal? What was going on? Yeah, so um, I was actually around my nan and granddad's house watching it. Um, so it's my granddad's a big Swindon fan. Um, my nan, unfortunately, was really ill. She had terminal cancer. Uh, so... It was kind of, we had it on the TV and it was the sort of last sort of memory I've got of my nan being herself, Mm. Um, watching the game, obviously, she's not really into football, she wasn't really into football massively, but she was all all second half, she was like, oh, come on Swindon, come on Swindon, give me that big one. And when obviously Brawley scored and, you know, we we won the game, it it made her really happy and it was just nice to see. Um, So that's been, I've told Tom myself, you know, I've got that's a, a really nice memory of my nan that he's given me. Yeah, I can, yeah, I can imagine. I mean, listen, I, I, I'm also going to repeat, and there's a reason why. I appreciate the, 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 the um, thank you for sharing that, Joe. By the way, it's obviously a very intimate, personal memory, and um, and hopefully we'll, you know, we'll come on to a few tributes because obviously there's been, um, you know. We lost a lot of people, haven't we, in the last couple of years? Um, and I don't think there is a um, a Swindon Town fan that's not in some way, shape, or form been 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 touched by that. But um, I think that's one of the reasons why tonight the topic of tonight's conversation is so special. As I mentioned, it was a, a silver lining whilst the whole country was essentially blanketed by the most greyest, miserable of clouds. And and the fact was. I'll repeat, much like what you guys have said, where was I? Well, I'll tell you what, I was perched on the edge of my sofa, staring at my laptop, trying to kind of recreate the the passion that we enjoy on a Saturday afternoon at the county ground or obviously on an away day as it was that day. Um, in, a, in a way that that kind of season, that most unique of seasons demanded, we all did. Um, you know, paying our, you know, essentially paying our... Uh, our I follow um, tenor and and sitting there much like we had done on Tuesday nights prior, um, just trying to make something of it. But the whole the whole experience we're, we're going to start there, guys, because the whole experience of trying to follow our, our football club via a laptop or a desktop PC is not one that I ever 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 want to repeat on a regular. But but yet weirdly, I don't think any of us. Well, for for a lot of us. We probably saw more Swindon Town football that season than any of us could have possibly ever seen before, and and that's the weird, perverse nature of this, isn't it? The most Swindony of instances where we got to watch Swindon Town home and away from the comfort of our own living room, and it was thoroughly and it was miserable. Absolute shit. <laughs> to be honest, we saw a few good goals from um, from Scotty Swine in the second half of the season, but my God, yeah. Any other season you take, wouldn't you? I'd, I'd take a 
a sort of mid-table League Two season to watch every game home and away. The, and it's funny oh. we it's funny we can laugh at it now, Joe. But at the time, like it's hard to recreate that that awful feeling of despair. Mate, but... this is before <laughs> I I literally. Well, actually, no, it wasn't before. I have a a special fire stick, um, allegedly, that you can watch all the games on. And I still, obviously, out of the the kindness of my heart, I thought, you know, Tao and I getting anyone in the into the ground for the games. I'll pay a tenner each week to watch it on iFollow. And after about three or four months, you're, you're begrudging Saturday coming around to spend £10 to watch Town get spanked by by a Portsmouth or a Sunderland, you know? It was <laughs> it was fairly rough, wasn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah. And, and the, go on, Chris. Sorry. Say, the first two home games that season actually gave you a bit of confidence. We were but, top of the league uh, after the first one. Yeah, I was going to say. But after that, it was just all downhill. It really was. It, I mean, you know, Chris, look, we should touch on that as well, because obviously the the start of the season, it was all very swindly, wasn't it? Like you said, we got off to an absolute flyer. Um, you know, the goals were flying in. We looked a little bit sort of shaky at the back, but hey, we had a guy from Man United on loading in between the sticks and he was going to turn out to be better than Stephen Bender. And, and we had this lad from Bristol City on the wing, Johnny Smith, who played the game like he had a pair of slippers. And and then we had a lad called Jordan Stevens join from, from Leeds United. And we had Matt from Arsenal in the middle. It was all going to be okay. Oh, it was that. I remember, was, I can't remember which way round it was. Was it Rochdale first for 3-0 and then Burton? Or it was, was the other yeah. way round. Yeah, yeah, it was Rochdale first, wasn't it? And then we had, we had Charlton in between, didn't we, in the Carabao Cup? No, yeah, I think Roch- I think Charlton was actually before the season started. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah, because to be honest, because that, of the COVID. Hammers named some players from that season there. I know, obviously, we don't want to we don't want to stick around on the topic for too long, but it's a good enough team to stay up in League One, isn't it? Really, in terms of in terms of the squad we had, you think of, I mean, Matt Smith, I think was. You know, he's a sensational footballer. And it's a surprise that he's not actually doing bits elsewhere. I think he's just at Arsenal rotting away in the 23s in the minute. Well, we, oh, he, uh, was, he was. Yeah. He, he was outstanding that season. I also remember with, with that as well, that obviously we had those two home games. But then I think we had... I think Blackpool away, we, we weren't great. And, and then and Kovar got beat twice at his, seat, um, his near post, didn't he? But yeah. I remember the game away against Peterborough, first half, we played them off the park, but we had only got the one goal, and then second half, we just fell apart. Mate, we had glimpses that, in that whole season. You obviously had Hull, beating Hull at home, which was, let's face it, pretty much the definition of a smash and grab. But, I mean, yeah, I, I honestly, I think you could have put me in the managerial hot mm. seat in that season, and I'd have kept us up. Mm. And the, uh, the legend that is Paul Cannis scored in that whole game, I believe. Yeah, I think yeah. so, yeah. Was, um, yeah, Hallam Hope wasn't it, the winner. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, look at that whole team. They had players like, um, was it Josh McGuinness up front and um, Keen Lewis Potter? Like, it's, it's a bloody good team. We, we, well, we they went up that season, I believe, as well, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm getting PTSD. I, 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 <laughs> don't ever take me back to the, the 2021 season, please. Well, that was a strange thing, though. Like what we said, there was there was a lot of um, almost like kind of false dawns, weren't there? And, you know, the start of the season, it actually weren't too shabby. Like you said, we've talked about Rochdale. I mean, but it, I don't think any of us would have really expected us to have got anything from Blackpool away. We got Burton sort of like, you know, well and truly sort of locked away. I mean, even like we, we, we lost the away to Peterborough, but, you know, Jack Payne 
off the mark and we were, we were hoping for huge things from Jack Payne. But then we had a couple of fairly swift kicks in the nuts um, in October um, with defeats, home defeats, so Wimbledon and, and Sunderland. Um, and then it was followed up by an away defeat to Northampton Town. And like you said, Hulk, you're kind of like, wow, OK, look, we're back on track now. Like We're really starting to look the part. But it just seemed like every time there was the, the like, it, it felt like we were getting going. Someone just came along and whipped the rug out from underneath us. And then, obviously, as we, I mean, we beat we beat Rovers and, and Pittman, you know, Port Pie Pele um, notches and we keep a clean sheet and we're thinking, right, OK, is this finally going to be sort of, you know, the opportunity that we're going to kick on from? Swiftly followed by another defeat before, obviously, events of the 28th of November. Um, more of that, more of that to come. But I mean, you, it'd be interesting to uh, anyone, any of the listeners, leave a comment and uh, give us your best game from watching on iFollow. Other, other than the Oxford game, obviously, that's I think that's um, fairly obvious. But I'm interested to see what people's memories of that season are in terms of the most enjoyable games to watch. Because I think I'm just thinking now, like Bristol Rovers away at the end of the season was a game that we won, and I think it gave us a lot of hope, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, that was the thing. There were good moments that season, just most of it was shit. Yeah, I mean, managing, obviously, doing the double over Rovers is something that we're, you know, we're all going to remember. Like, I think the season will be, I I think you've you've got to look at Rovers. You've got to look at, obviously, the result against the Pox. And like you said, some absolute rip snorters from Scotty Twine, um, who just sort of seem to be able to score from everywhere. Um, As uh, you you, you try and... (laughs) You, you, you're trying to sort of, you know, you really are trying to polish your turn, aren't you? Like, beyond that. I mean, Wigan on the final day was just bonkers, wasn't it? Like, it was it was crackers. I think, um, you know, we all enjoyed Portsmouth. But, I mean, the Twine goal against Ipswich was something else, wasn't it? I was going to say, the Twine goal, I think, I would say, is the best Swindon goal that I've ever seen. Yeah, it was something else. But unfortunately, around that kind of time, we had we had a very different type of manager in the dugout, didn't we? And I think part of the misery of I follow that season was essentially having to listen to the audio that that gentleman was serving up as well. And, and do you think just... he'd go if there were if there were fans at the ground? Do you think he'd have been gone by you know February March? Because I think he would have been. Well, all right. Listen, let's let's have a little let's have a little settle on that. Probably a little a little sooner than than I would have expected. I'll be very very interested again um, to to take listener comments on this. But I mean, from my perspective, Joe, yeah, I think it's a no brainer. Um, I think um, about the time where we started sort of saying, well, maybe there could be a little bit of hope here, um, which was I think around sort of March time when we had was it March when we had Gillingham. Um, and he was umming and ahhing about whether he was going to go or not. And at that stage, we still had a good sort of like 10, 12 games left in the season. Um, and we'd given ourselves a chance to get out of it. And I think just the mere suggestion that he would leave was giving everyone that kind of sort of little lift, like that excitement, right, something's going to happen here. And I think we all knew that we had a squad capable of keeping us in the league as well. Um, <clears throat> him choosing not to go... I think was just pretty much a dagger in everyone's heart and the, and the nature of him choosing not to go as well. Oh, I mean, it was absolutely bloody God awful, wasn't it? I mean, what's your take yeah. on it? I um, mean, to be honest, mate, I think, you know, under the, the dictatorship at the time, the problem is he was never going to get sacked because like, you know, let's face it, Lee Power probably couldn't find one to give 
he, he just uh, can you imagine the dross that we probably get in if Sheridan was sacked? I can't even tell you who'd be appointed towards the end of the season where Lee Power ultimately had given up on on the football club. Mm. Um, the wheels were probably in motion for the club to be to be to be wound up. Um, yeah, I, I can't I can't imagine who we'd probably get in. It'd be like the non-league version of Gary Megson or something. I think, to be totally honest, Joe, if he had gone, um, bearing in mind who get, who did the warm-up, um, you know, for the uh, the Wimbledon game, um, the senior pros were the ones that are pretty much sort of stepped up. I think, you know, Cads... Well, you had Peaks as well, didn't you? Yeah, you had Peaks. Obviously, just think of who was in the building. You had Peaks, you had Mildy, you had Cads. Um, I think Cads said he and Johnny Grounds did the, did the warm-up before the Wimbledon game. Um, so there was already kind of people that were in a position to sort of um, sort of get the team going, if you will, um, you know, get them all fired up and, you know, um, and, and try and sort of polish a turd. But, um, yeah, I, I think yeah, yeah. I, I still believe that we were seeing enough from that team mm. around the time he decided to stay um, that, you know, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure we could have stayed up. I mean, look, Fleet, Fleetwood, the away win, Fleetwood, Fleetwood was huge. You know, Rovers away, there was another one, back-to-back wins, and you're thinking, right, hello, you know, we've we got something going here. But then, yeah, like, ultimately, he stays put. I remember the weird thing was, after we beat Rovers, do you remember there, were, <laughs> there was even the suggestion that maybe Shez has pulled something out of the hat here? There was actually goodwill developing as well at that stage. Um, and then it just went so horribly, horribly wrong. Um yeah, oh god. god. I think the moment when tits up for for good was probably when um, there was the bust up on the substitutes bench. Where was that? Was that away at? Was that Milton Keynes? Accrington? I think it was Accrington. Was it Accrington? Yeah, and it was obviously, you know, I mean, Taylor Curran wasn't the flavour of the month for most town fans anyway. And then you had Tyrese Omatoy who'd come in, played about thirty seconds of football as a striker. They had good pedigree. He'd done well in like the you know reserve football and in the JPC or whatever. Um as soon as that happened and Sheridan probably couldn't be bothered to 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 battle his way out of looking shit in the media and you know and not being the most popular gaffer in the league. I he was just yeah, I think that moment for me was when I was like, right, even the players uh, are giving up and blaming each other. Yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was an interesting one, wasn't it? There were so many weird stories. I mean, it's, it's interesting. We go on about Paul Caddis. We, we spoke we spoke off air, probably Cads uh, and I, about a year ago. And I think he even said some of this online when he came on the show. And we were talking about the fact that football is is a terrible blame blame culture when things are going horribly wrong. That, you know, it, you know and, and so as a consequence, I think a lot of that kind of overlapped into, you know, what we were thinking as well. You mentioned there, like Tyree Somatoy. We've got a lad there on loan from a Premier League team who, you know, he's he's just not getting any minutes. People are asking him, like, what the hell's going on? You've got Tyler Smith on loan. That, and, and Tyler Smith, it just seemed like every time he, he played, he would score. But yet, couldn't find his way into the starting lineup, And people were asking questions, what the bloody hell? You know, we've got a guy that... 
that finished the season, um, you know, with 10 goals, he could have probably finished the season with 20, 25 goals, even even in, in a in a god-awful, miserable team. But sure as eggs is eggs, we would have had a few more points on the board with him in the team. You know, you had the Taylor Curry situation and people sort of speculating as to, you know, why, what, why is, who is this guy? Why is he in the squad? Hang on a minute. Is his dad putting money in the team? And then as a consequence, is he only in the team because people are like, is it, has he been people paying for him to be in the team? You know, there were there were there were players making mercurial comments about that kind of stuff, and that must have been incredibly divisive as well. But yeah, at the same time, you had players with nothing but good things to say about him. Um, so, I mean, it's difficult, wasn't it? You know, Brett. You know, Brett Pittman had had, had dropped down the leagues to come and play for us. Um, uh, but, Brett Pittman, the highest goal scorer in association football currently. Well, that um, Brett Pittman. But but. But if you get my meaning about Pittman, I think when we signed him, everyone was saying, I'm not being funny, but give this guy chances. He's going to score goals. You know, I think um, Pittman, didn't Pitt, Pittman finish that season with 10 or 12 goals. Um, and yet, it, it just seemed like he couldn't hit a bull's ass with a banjo. Um, you know, he looked out of shape. He looked really heavy. Just like, it just, oh. So the whole thing was just, you know, the loanees. We had, we had loanees sort of join and be superb at the start. Johnny Smith was a good example. Johnny Smith ended up having problems with, you know, with a virus. You know, Jordan Stevens started brilliantly and then faded so badly very, very quickly. Dominic Thompson was another one, you know, three assists on his debut. And and then just went from from boom to total bust. We went through seven goalkeepers. Like, I was going mean, to say, the goalkeepers, oh. it says it all really. If you say that any team has seven goalkeepers play, uh, put the shirt on in a season, you'd probably say without knowing who they were, what league they were in, what position in the league they're in, you'd probably say they'd, they'd be relegated. Because, I mean, seven goalkeepers is a joke. Yeah. That's the one position where you, ultimately, I think last season, we probably fell victim to having two quite good goalkeepers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a gaffer needs to have their number one. And he is there between the sticks, week in, week out, organising his defence, commanding his box and making it his own. And you can't do it when there's two goalkeepers, let alone having seven on the pitch. Yeah, <laughs> it, it truly was, truly, truly was awful. But look, I mean, listen, we can spend all day talking about how awful the season was, and I'm sure we're going to dip in and dip out. <laughs> but bearing in mind we're an entertainment industry, gents, let's not spend let's not spend too long. Sorry, my fault. Pessimistic. Out on. Revisiting the collective season because we all know it was thoroughly miserable. Let's 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 go back to let's go let's talk a little bit about the build up to the game against the Pox. So, obviously, start of the season, things weren't too bad. Like, we'd managed to get a few high-scoring points on the board. Um, we were we're doing all right. You know, people have been amongst the goals. Like we said, Matt Smith had been amongst the goals. Johnny Smith had been amongst the goals. Jordan Stevens had been amongst the goals. Jack Pamers, as I said, he was off the mark. And things weren't looking too bad going into the 28th of November. Um, I think one of the things that, that really sticks in mind, there was a lot of three-stand banter flying around on the socials, guys. Who's got recollections of the three-stand banter? Well, they've only got three stands. <laughs> Social media was a lot of fun. Inevitably, it's their Achilles heel, isn't it? And it's, it just seems like one of those things that we can say to Oxford fans, and they've got literally no comeback. The fact they've got people hiring out forklifts to go and stand behind... To park him behind that stand and hoist themselves up, but they've got a game against an Arsenal or a Man City or something on telly. Even I think probably last season they probably had, uh, sorry, not last season, the COVID season when they couldn't have fans in the ground was the prime opportunity for Oxford fans to watch every single game of a, basically a season ticket by getting a 
loyalty card of Jutons. Like it was, <laughs> it, it was sensational, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think you're probably right. Forklifts, ladders, pallets. You could just <laughs> you know, so you had one guy drove his car up, didn't you? I think there was some sort of like there was some sort of makeshift platform that he'd put on the back of a pickup or on the roof of a car. But um, yeah, they, 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 you know, they were manager. They managing to do it, weren't they? They were managing to do it. But um, I, I think the um, one of the real pleasures for me at the time was I'd, I'd become um, acquainted with Will Fowler, who you'll all remember was the um, was the admin at the time. And uh, I was on a WhatsApp group with Will and a few other um, town fans that work in the football industry um, and uh, whose paths had crossed with, with me over various sort of points over the, over the years. And... and um, Will essentially said that um, just before, I think it was just before he left the county ground, he'd sent a tweet out um, that was essentially having a little dig at Oxford and the fact that they've only got three stands. And it was obviously on the official uh, club Twitter. So when the Swindon Town coach pulled in, he heard some bloke in a Scouse accent shouting at the top of his voice, who's that? Who's that bastard that tweeted that then? Who's that? Who's that that did this? Who's that that did that? You know, like having a go about the tweets and... Lo and behold, around the corner from this corridor where all this shouting is coming from comes a red-faced Carl Robinson. And he'd been directed towards the Swindon Town media, uh, head of media, um, who had reliably been informed, had tweeted out about the three stands. And he, he's probably laid into, <laughs> laid into Will and had to be essentially pushed away to stop him throttling Will Fowler. So um, it was good to know that before a ball had even been kicked, our admin was boiling piss. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm also, um, that game as well against Oxford was the only game I've ever done this. I sent a message to every single player on Instagram, just a paragraph about the rivalry and what it means to town fans and stuff. And um, the only person that came back to me was uh, Jordan Lydon, just put a fist emoji. But no, I... Uh, yeah, I sent a, a message. I, I haven't done it since, but maybe I should have done it in the Port Vale game in the, in the summer because it's clearly good luck. <laughs> No, well, listen. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not at all surprised. Jordan, Jordan Lydon, bit of fire in his belly. Um, one, of, one of the heroes of the summer that hung around at our, uh, um, you know, when we were when our club hit hit rock bottom. Um, it's a it's a real shame Jordan Lydon's not around moving forward. I mean, I don't want to go too far down the Jordan Lydon rabbit hole. Um, there's a whole different conversation whatsoever. But um, on his day, by far the best footballer in the league for me, by far. Yeah, it's sad that he hasn't got a club currently because, uh, as you say, absolute Rolls Royce of a footballer. It's just a shame that he's made a weak bit, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Well, rather, yes. Um, but look, I mean, look, moving forward. So there was there was obviously the the, the, the three stand banter. Um, I think the. Do you think it's fair to say that even though we got off to a bad start, I think one of the things that really charms us about this particular result was the fact that it was like, like it always seems to me, Joe, I don't know how you feel about this, but whenever I need Swindon Town to lift my spirits, for whatever reason, they never seem to be able to do that for me. But then by the same token, when I'm not expecting it, they always just produce something totally out of the hat, which like some kind of fickle mistress just keeps me coming back for more. It's something really intoxicating about it. I mean, I'll give you an example. You know, we, you know, those regular listeners to the show will have heard that, that, you know, hopefully you've listened to the Paul Caddis show where Paul came and did us a Tom Broadbent Lounge takeover at the county ground last week. And um, we had the most incredible day with Paul. 
You know, we paraded the trophies around the pitch. We've had Paul in the town end with us, all the fans mixing with him. It was the most emotional day. Absolutely tremendous. Um, there is a Swindon Town fan in the world that will not be able to connect with the emotional potential of such a day. And then we go and give that kind of performance out on the pitch. So if you get my meaning, if ever there was a day where you kind of hoped that Swindon Town would deliver for us, I could kind of predict it won't be the day that Paul Cass came down and paraded the trophies in front of the crew fans. And it just weren't the beat, was it? But No, I think the, the thing is with Sportman Swindon Town is, you know, the I think the reason that I... One of the reasons that I love supporting Swindon is that when we have a really good moment or we have a moment of, you know, winning a derby, it doesn't happen every year. It's not like watching Man City and winning the Premier League every single year without fail and you've won it by December. Swindon Town, you support them and we're shit for two years and then we'll win a league. And it makes it more special because you have moments where, you know, you're getting relegated and you're getting smacked on Sky Sports by Burton Albion. It's, it, the embarrassment makes the the good times that much sweeter, I'd say. Yeah, I, I, I would make you right. But, I mean, look, fundamentally, you know, they've had the hoodoo over us for the best part of 20 years. So, oh, yeah, I, massive I, I moment. I was, I was going into that game. I was throwing out the abuse on social media. And part of me was going, I know this is going to come back and bl- blow up in my face, but you know what? To hell with it. Let's just go with it. It's a local derby. And I, I thought everything I'm putting out is going to just blow up horribly in my face. So I wasn't actually expect. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I weren't expecting a win. Away from home as well, you're thinking a point would be a terrific result. You know, a, a point would be amazing. Were you expecting a win, Joe? Were you expecting a win? No, not at all. I, I've, the only game that I've ever gone into uh, Swindon Oxford actually fairly confident was the Tucanio season. Mm. And we should have won that game. I mean, I'm sure you were there as well. We were, we've all seen the game. We were all over them and we didn't deserve to lose, ultimately. Um, and in a way, I think, do we get a red card at 0-0? And then it seemed like, especially for a certain period of the sort of the mid-2010s, we we had a team of Vigaru and Branco and Thompson and every single game, at least one of those players would get sent off without fail. <laughs> Vigaru loved the red card against Oxford. Um, and you, you go into the game, you know, even the season, I think, was it 2015 when we got... Did we get relegated? Was it Van Cassie Dabo or 2017? Dabo scored the the opener. At that point, obviously, we'd been relegated pretty much. It'd been it'd been done. We had a full house. We had the TFOs at Great Rest and Reds had, uh, Reds had set up. Um, it was a great atmosphere. One one the up, couldn't believe it. And then you know, normal service resumes and Chris McGuire and and Co come and ruin the day. It's just yeah, <laughs> it's like it, Chris it, McGuire too. Oh, that man. My God, that man. But, um, yeah, so it you, seemed, you weren't, you weren't seemed impossible. Joe, you weren't expecting. What about you, Chris? Like, going into that game. I mean, if, if you get my if you get my point about the fact that whenever whenever you kind of... You can't really expect a win from Swindon, but they always delight you unexpectedly. But going into that game, do you remember how you were feeling, Chris? Were you I, was, I, was, I was actually dreading going into that game, but... <clears throat> And this is probably the only time during that whole season I can give credit to Sheridan. He tried something different and it worked. 
putting putting uh, Rob End up front and whatnot, and they, they couldn't handle him, could they? They just couldn't handle him, and uh, and and for that as well, it's. <clears throat> I mean, obviously, he got both goals, which is is what I'm sticking to. Mm. Well, what, what what about you, Ellis? Were you what were you expecting, mate? Going into that game, were you just sort of like, oh, batting down the hatches and we'll take whatever whatever we can get, but it's probably unlikely to be a win? Or were you supremely confident? Where was your head at? Uh, I was confident. I I'm always confident going into games like that. Um, I was actually disappointed with a two-one win. I wanted a three-nil win, but you know, I'll take it. Oh, bloody hell! Is oh, Joe? All I can say there is is the folly of youth, isn't it, with the champ. It's I was just... going to say, where's that come from? Bloody hell. Give me a dose of what you're having. <laughs> hey, one thing I will say about that game as well, through, through early in that season, obviously, we had Kovar in on loan. And for most of the first half of that season, before it went back, it was an absolute disaster. But he was absolutely brilliant in that first half. Yeah, he was solid, wasn't he? He was solid, Kovar, against um, Fox. Um, the annoying thing is, Kovar is actually a very good goalkeeper. He actually is. He's not bad. I mean, you don't play for Man United for as long as he has if you're absolute dross. Hey, listen, it's just I... a case of having... I think having no fans in stadiums is a lonely place for most players anyway. But when you're a goalkeeper that starts conceding loads of goals, you've clearly got quite a toxic dressing room at the time as well. You're changing from gaffers and the gaffer that brought you in who's a Man United fan and his son's in the academy so he's probably played with the manager's son to having John Sheridan come in who's you know, Marmite at the best of times. It, it, I mean, it must have been a difficult place for the kid. I think I think really with Kovar, I mean, other things, I'll give you a goalkeeper's perspective. I just think, you know, a, a makeshift or ever-changing sort of back line, um, you know, where you've got sort of like old stages like John Grounds came in and just, just hadn't really kind of, it just didn't happen for a bit. And, and it's interesting, again, we go on about things that Cad said. I mean, you know, Paul Caddis on the show last week was talking about the fact that um, for the senior pros, that season was so much harder because they just got used to, you know, the, the the ingredient that is unique to fans being in the stadium. And actually, for most of the young pros, it was it was actually a blessing for them. You know, like Matty Smith played like, you know, carefree. And it's one of the reasons why I think he was so impressive for us. And certainly I know that's what Paul feels. But Kovar was, a, was weirdly... he. It, he was the kind of exception to that rule, wasn't he? I mean, he was a you know a youngster that you know you can, you can't. We're all clutching for straws as to why it didn't work for him at our place. I can only say I don't think it was I don't think it was fan related. I I, I think fundamentally it was just he was playing behind a really shoddy backline. Um, you know, just that that had just lost its way. You know, I mean, Cads by his own admission, you know, had a very poor season by his own standards. You know, and as the season progressed, he fell further and further out of football. I think John Grounds is a really interesting one because obviously he's gone off to to Exeter the following season, and we've all seen what Grounds he's gone and done, gone and achieved with Exeter. Um, you know, so there was certainly plenty of fuel left in his tank, whereas we were all right off and his legs had gone and, you know, he had nothing more to offer. And and then when we'd be using Tom Broadbent, who you would have thought would have been a superb centre after throw into that mix, we were using him as a makeshift striker. Like it was with, it was, with Anthony Grant at centre back. Yeah, exactly that. It was just completely bonkers, wasn't it? It was like they would sooner play Tom Broadbent up front and play Paul Caddis as a central holding holding midfielder. Than, than than play broadbent in his in his natural position, like just utterly bonkers. So um, 
yeah, I mean, it, I thought it was a, it was it was tough on Kovar, but it just seemed like with every like like you get with makeshift defend defenses, the the the, the sort of weird, unpredictable nature of where the goals came from. I mean, I'm trying to remember one of the games was it um, was it Sunderland at home where he was just so hopelessly wrong footed, or was it it might be Plymouth away? And now I seem to remember it's in front of the Stratton Bank, and I can't remember the goal, but it it wasn't it was. It didn't P-roll quite as slow as Tyree Shade this season. Um, but there was a goal that just seemed to, like, it just seemed to take an age to clamber across his line and the balls just crept over the line and it was just like, oh, my God. It I think a... mentally he's probably clocked out. Like, it was just, it was such a horrid time for him. I mean, the kid's playing in the Europa League this year. Yeah. Like, he's, he's a very good goalkeeper. Burton Albion fans love him. As you say, I think playing behind a back four that changed every week and had players playing out of position and it was just it, that whole team it was just a mess so you, I, I think at the time don't get me wrong if you scroll far enough down my timeline I, I'd imagine there are some distasteful tweets with regards to Mr. Kovar yeah. but you know in high, with hindsight you can't really blame him no 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 what? but listen go back to what Chris was saying so again I mean, we talked about that night and what it was that was so special about that night and just to be clear this isn't about you know us just glorying in the win over Oxford. There was so much more to it. Like I said, it was the, there were so many kind of metaphoric elements that had to form. And so there was so much poetry to be found in that game that we're just going to try and interrogate it all. And I, I always, I, I think one of the things that's so delightfully, ironically swindled town about that performance is pretty much what Chris was saying about the fact that here is the, Sort of typically, what do we all love about Swindon Town? The fact that we get the ball down, the fact that we play such intoxicating football, um, that you know we we like to win the Swindon way. There is a, a a Swindon identity to how we play football. The irony of that night was that the goals came from such an unexpected source, and the the fact that is Silky Swindon Town Football Club. We, we end up winning the game by throwing a centre-half on at centre-forward, who by his own admission has never, ever played as a centre-forward. He he was... He, I remember him telling us about the instructions he had from Mildy, which was just, you know, when we picked the ball up, just head, head look out for the big diag and just, quote, be a bit of a nuisance. And then if you reflect on how those goals came about, I mean, they were pretty bloody scruffy fair, weren't they? Let's be honest. 100%. Yeah, I think he, he did his job in terms of what he was brought on to do, but I think the best moment of Broadie's game that, that day was when he absolutely clattered into an Oxford player. I think it was in injury time, on the halfway line. I remember it. It was beautiful. It two was one up. Two, yeah, right, mate, two one up, and they were breaking, weren't they? they the break was on, and Broadie's just pulled the most incredible crunching tackle out the back. He got the ball as well, but he absolutely yeah. got, I mean, he, he split him in half. He absolutely ruined him. And um, yeah, I mean, that was just, what a day. That was perfect way to end it, I think. But, but how ironic, Chris, right? That we throw, we throw big Broadie on up top and he ends up doing what he's done with, like I said, two of the scruffy. I mean, the first one was pretty, pretty scruffy, wasn't it? We just managed yeah. to recycle it. We worked the ball back in the box and Tom manages to get a swivel on, redirect the ball past the goalkeeper who's dived the other way. But I mean, the second goal, and we'll, we'll come on to this when we, when we, when we, we glory yeah. in a happy, uh, happy Tyler Smith day. Yeah. But um, there was, there, <laughs> there was something utterly, utterly shambolic. <laughs> About that second yeah. goal, wasn't it? 
I, I'm not going to lie. On the, at that point, it, <clears throat> when we were one nil down, I'd almost just because up until that point, up until about eighty minutes, we'd done nothing. We hadn't even looked like scoring. I'd almost written it off, and then suddenly, ball comes in and Sir Tom buries it, and then there's after that, there's only one team in it. Mm. Yeah, it was utter bedlam. I mean, listen, we we, we mentioned we mentioned Sheridan a little bit earlier, didn't we? I mean. Ellis, I'll, I'll get this. I'll get this from you, mate. I mean, how do you feel about the fact that you know we 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 absolutely hammered Sheza earlier, and we couldn't wait to see the back of him, but yet here was this kind of um, bizarrely drastic tactical move from a man that ends up being referred to as a dinosaur, and he's he pulled it off, but not just pulled it off against you know some random sort of you know. Some some random side from the league, but literally he's pulled it off against our greatest rivals and secured one of our greatest derby wins in modern history with the most <laughs> Jurassic tactical move you could possibly like. I cannot like the irony of all of this. Like I said, there's so many poetic moments about that result, but the fact that John Sheridan it is he's undeniably his tactical nous that has led to Broadbent being involved in both of the goals. And, and and both of the goals in such an unswindony kind of build-up sort of that we're not known for sticking in the mixer, and yet we end up getting what we get off the back of that from Sheridan. Like the, the, the it's just dripping, dripping in poetry and irony, isn't it? Yeah. You mentioned there as well, Hannah. Sorry, Ellis. You mentioned there right. about the um, the Jurassic Park links. You know how people post videos of big football moments to the Titanic music. That literally, I mean, the Jurassic Park theme tune just goes hand in hand with that video. That the highlights like, <laughs> and we salute Jeff for, um, and I'm sure if, if he'll be listening in, and at some point he will retweet the video, the video that we all know about. Um, yeah. So sort of going back to your point, Hannahs, I think I, I don't know if you can call it tactical genius. I think it was more of sort of a his it was his last sort of option and he was just lucky that it paid off um but yeah you're not even willing to give him a little crumb are you no well no i think i think he was just desperate and he was like (laughs) right (laughs) broadie up front up you go genuinely i don't think any like he he didn't think that through he just stuck him up there I mean, what about what about you, Chris? Like, do you give Chez any credit? I mean, I appreciate hindsight's a wonderful thing, but at that, at that stage in the season, we the way we felt about him is very different to how we felt about him after uh, Oldham at home last season. So, um, could you give him any credit at that time? I'm, think- I am a hundred percent behind Ellis here. I'm thinking that it was a last resort. You know, everything else he did wasn't working. So, so why don't we try this? And he would just got lucky that it paid off. I'm not willing to give him any credit whatsoever for that. It's a little bit like, do you remember when Andy King threw Antoine van der Linden up top? And I'm pretty oh. sure, I am pretty sure that was the end of, of Andy King's first stint as manager. <laughs> I'm, I'm, like you, old enough to remember that. I'm not so sure Ellis and Joe can, but I certainly can remember that. And it was the same sort of thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't. The, he wasn't the best player we ever had, was he? <laughs> no, the, no. The thing is, what like what did Sheridan have to lose? Like he had nothing to lose, and base and a lot to gain. Like 
the the scenes when when Brody scored. But obviously, if it didn't pay off, well, no one really liked him anyway. I just remember Ellis after the game. There was a real tangible sense of, do you know what? He's he's literally he's pulled something out of the hat here. That actually that generated him an awful lot of goodwill points. Yeah, that, that certainly carried him through a a pretty rocky period. I mean, I think obviously it took a while until sort of we hit January and we got that cracking result away to, away at Ipswich. But um, I remember feeling at that point in time, like obviously it was still kind of early in his reign. I think we had all we had all pretty much sort of turned our nose up at his presentation photo with the scarf above his head. He didn't look particularly chuffed to be at the county ground, did he? Or uh, on the on the pitch at Beversbrook, wherever that was taken. But I think just the, the nature of pulling that rabbit out of the hat, I think actually carried him forward. And there were a couple of moments during the season. I mean, I mentioned it earlier. There were a couple of moments in the season where you saw, sort of thought, you know what? Maybe, maybe this guy does know what he's doing. I mean, I seem to remember we had like, we in Feb like February was kind to us. Like we got a really good home win against Crew. We got a, a really good away point against a very competitive Lincoln side, and then we beat Northampton at home. And I remember thinking, do you know what? Maybe it's coming together. But then we would go on these awful runs. Like following that, we ended up losing to Sunderland, lost to Accrington, and then we got beaten at home by uh, Oxford United. Interesting side point. Little is made of Taylor Curran scoring against them, but that, that's a different story altogether. And obviously, uh, we don't we don't tend to lament on Brett Pittman missing a penalty either. But uh, and then we got we got beaten by the Jules as well. But there were there were these little every every now and again we had these little glimmers where we were like, nah, do you know what? You know, maybe he's got something about him. But yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's very with, with hindsight, I, I feel it's very very easy to forget those little slivers of goodwill that that were generated at, at, at three or four points at the, from the midway point of the season onwards. For, for me, the the point of that when I thought, ah, we might have a chance of staying up here was the Fleetwood win. And I believe we beat Bristol Rovers the game after that. And um, that was the point when I thought, hey, we, we could get after this. But then the game after that, we just went back into the shite which most of the season was. Yeah, well, exactly as you say, mate. Like I mentioned earlier, yeah, there was Fleetwood, two 0 Fleetwood away, if I recall. Twino got a couple. Then, yeah, Bristol Rovers away. I think it was away. Yeah, it was with Jack Payne got a great winner. And then you had that game, yeah. And then, yeah, we had something like you know four. I think it was four or five defeats on the bounce. I remember there was a there was a particularly heavy hammering for at home. I think was really heavy. Yeah, so. You know, like I said, the history books, were, and rightly so, will never be kind to John Sheridan. But uh, I think it would be remiss of us to not be honest enough to say that there were a couple of moments where, you know, on the social in particular, the conversation was being had. You know, is this guy going to bring some pull, pull something out of the hat? But well, look, we talked about we talked about where we all were. Um, on the twenty. So move, moving this on because I don't want to spend too much time lamenting on that season itself. So. So we were all. I think we've all established we were all pretty much we were at home or with loved ones on the on the twenty eighth of the eleventh, twenty twenty. I mean, um, it was obviously it was a peculiar time. Um, there wasn't all of our kind of um, all of our social freedoms have been clamped right down on. Um, <clears throat> we've had um, we've had a few contributions um, from listeners, some of which I'm going to try and and and, and fish up now. But I mean, who? Um, I don't. 
I don't know if we want to go straight on to the, the sense of disbelief as the ball at the back of the net. Who, who remembers that, that that sort of crazy feeling? Um, I mean, for me, it was a feeling of utter disbelief when the first one went in, let alone the second one. But, I mean, who, who, who wants to go up first? Who, who remembers how they felt? Oh, well, I, I can remember being utterly sick. And when I went up, I think even the bloody fish were scared. <laughs> when, yeah, I, mean, I, scared, I, just, I was scared myself. <laughs> so we've had, yeah, we've had a, we've had a couple of cracking contributions. I'm just going to try and find. I've inadvertently my fat fingers knocked my notes off, so I'm just trying to find the first of the contributions. I thought I was going to wet myself when that second goal went in. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. <laughs> right. So is is a brilliant one from Rachel. So Rachel said, um, uh, "Evening, sit on Broadbent Lounge. Um, I watched it with my dad." We went nuts and scared my then 12-week-old kitten so much he hid behind the gap in the sofa for about eight hours afterwards. It was so frustrating not being able to be there, but looking back now, in a way, for me, I loved that it was just with my dad and we could go crazy in the living room and share that moment. I won't get to experience that again. Uh, Thank you for sharing that, Rachel. Rachel also goes on to say, also, um, loads of texts were coming in on my phone constantly from friends that were also watching it. And it was so obvious how much it meant to all of us. Um, I remember um, one particular friend was messaging me. One particular, this was Debs, was messaging me as she went to the county ground afterwards to welcome the players back. Adrenaline was pumping for days afterwards. I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, it's... Quite a lot to get into there, guys, isn't there? I mean, who? Um, I mean, Joe, you've you've got a similar story. Um, you were saying about yeah, obviously it was a it was a special moment with with your nan. Um, I mean, it's it it's hard. To, Chris Chris sort of touched on it, Joe. It's hard to sort of recreate the majesty of those particular moments, isn't it? Like Chris was saying, for the, for like eighty four minutes, we're pretty much gone. Yeah, this is a, this is gone. Like, there's no no chance. We the, the the way that the the way patterns of play was also predictable. We were like banging our heads against a brick wall, and then just out of the blue, that happened. Yeah, did, I mean, it's a beauty of football, isn't it? I yeah. What, what did you first of all? I mean, I know. Do you remember Broad when Broadie came on the show? And for those of you that want to go back and listen to it, if you go on our YouTube page, track right the way back to the very first show we uploaded, and it was one night in in Oxford, and Tom came on for his show debut. And he told the story about he came on the pitch and the players just assumed that he'd gone at the, gone on to the wrong end of the pitch. And he said, Tyler Smith walked up to him and said, like, mate, what are you doing? And Tom's like, I'm up front with you. And he said, Tyler just smiled, gave him a fist bump and said, well, let's go then. <laughs> and, I love that. And, and, and let's go, they did. And he also said that the, the, it was almost like he'd been on the pitch about 15, 20 minutes before he actually scored. But he said it, it literally went in the click of the fingers. And that was really uncharted territory for him because he said, as a centre-half, you play yourself into the game. But he said, as a striker, he just felt that he was running around just having fun, being a, being a nuisance with, with literally nothing to lose. So he was having the time of his life. And then obviously he hit the back of the net. I mean, what... <laughs> What did you What did you think when he scored, Joe? Like, did, did you Did you feel that in the build up it was coming? Uh, no, um, but I actually remember because I was with my nan and Rachel's comment. Um, it's beautiful, isn't it? I mean, at such a hard time for for people across the world being isolated and, and not being able to do what you know we took for granted. Essentially, what we do take for granted now to share those moments of watching football games with people that you wouldn't usually watch games with. Um, it's quite special. And obviously her dad 
um, that, that's a lovely memory for Rachel. So I, I really sort of resonate with that with that um, experience. Um, but I remember one of my girlfriend's best friends from university is an Oxford fan. So he was giving me the absolute, like, the the, the most shithousery text messages for 85 minutes of that game were flying in. He was loving life. And then suddenly he went very, very quiet. And, um, you know, I thought I'd leave it until full time, thinking it'd be one all. Obviously, we scored very late on to, to win it. And, um, yeah, I mean, my the best experience from that day was just blowing his phone up with um with pure muggery it was it was fantastic I, I tell, i've got a similar story joe so obviously because of the nature of lockdown when when we went into lockdown my eldest daughter's now ex long-term boyfriend was living with us um uh, all the way through lockdown and the amount of shit housing I had to put up with him. And the worst bit about it is those of you that are regular listeners to the show will know me, will know where I live. I live on the London Kent border. I'm not a million miles away from Palace, Charlton, uh, Gillingham. I've got a pretty awful catchment of clubs around here. And I'd grown up with like Millwall, West Ham, Charlton fans giving me dogs abuse because I've been a town fan since I was nine, ten years old all the way through secondary school, you can imagine. And then lo and behold, my my eldest daughter, who's 22 now, she meets her, a guy that's, you know, was a long-term partner and um, he's a massive Charlton fan. So he would absolutely delight in my misery. And I don't mind telling you, we, there's no love lost between us now, me and this guy. But, oh my God, like he's... He was merciless with the banter. So I was sitting there, like, going through. You imagine that season, like, every time I sat and watched Town and I follow, you kind of wished you hadn't. And he would just, like, there was no tact. He would just give me, give it to me all the time, whenever he could. But that particular day, I remember they'd gone out for a walk. They'd gone to do the old, you know, you were allowed to go out and walk the dogs, weren't you? As long as you stayed a certain, like, distance apart or avoided people. They'd gone out and walked the dogs. And he came back in and we were losing 1-0. And I remember he just literally laughed in my face. And if I just literally wanted to throttle him, like I just wanted to throttle him. And and he could see the look on my face. I wasn't taking it lightly that day. I wasn't taking his banter. So he laid off a little bit. And then I remember they came in and sat next to me on the sofa. So I'm sat in the middle of this big sort of like four or five seater sofa. And I've got my laptop perched on the coffee table. And I'm sat on the edge and I'm chewing my nails, chewing my knuckles, biting my thumbs, all that stuff. And when the equaliser went in, I screamed so loud that our next door neighbours came and knocked on the door to check that we were all okay. I went absolutely batshit mental, I don't mind telling you. And please, one of you guys tell me, I wasn't the only one that went batshit mental when that first one went in. Yeah, I I actually like screamed, like let out a scream. (laughs) Um. Yeah, <laughs> probably someone thought thought I had died or something. But yeah, Ellis, it was cathartic on so many levels, though, wasn't it? I think there genuinely was something like again. Just going to reiterate, this show is not about the fact that we beat Oxford in the derby. It's not as Tim Pot as that. There was something just there was. I mentioned all those wonderfully flowery words earlier when I was going through my um. When I was going through my introduction, I, you know, I was saying it was just like 
it's sort of it's it's kind of hard to hard to sort of explain. It was the passion, irony, despair, triumph, unlikely heroes, pantomime village. It had everything. But against that backdrop of COVID, where we were all locked up, it, it was so miserable, so desperate. And I had to sit. And also, as much as we love our loved ones, I think there was also something in, like I said myself, like my daughter's boyfriend giving me the same banter he was giving me every week was really kind of grating on me. So when we hit the back of the net, it literally was my finger to the lips moment and like two middle fingers up right in his face, like just loving every second of that. There was a lot of cathartic kind of um, outpouring, I believe, for that first goal. Well, for me, it was, it was slightly different as well because obviously we were all locked down. So it was just me and the girls. And it's it's not very often where I, I, they were, they were, all three of them are with me. And we all loved that goal. Just when that, not, not even the 2 1 goal, the 1 1 goal, I think we had more passion than we did the winner. I, I, never, I never forget the line that I gave to our neighbours. Like she's, she's knocked on the door. And then she's backed off halfway down the halfway down the drive, and I've I've opened the door and I'm just I'm like I'm, I must have, I must bright red or, but I've obviously looked a little bit heightened, shall we say? And she was like, I just, I just wanted to check you're all okay. I, I just heard the, the, the like this almighty scream, and I was like, it's football. We've just equalised against Oxford, and she's like, right? And they're all Liverpool fans, so she just didn't get the context. She's like, uh, okay. I'm like. No, 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 no. That's like the equivalent of like you lot scoring against Everton. And then she was like, oh, right. Oh, right. Okay, right you are. And then she just walked off. But, yeah, very special moment that, wasn't it? Very but, special. I mean, I, I just, I can't imagine what it would have been like to be in the ground that day. You know, that would have, I mean, I, I was at Mansfield the other week and I absolutely loved that. But if, you were, if we were in the ground that day, that was off the charts, wasn't it? If, if we're in the ground that day, off the charts. Yeah, well, I think that's one of the greatest, I mean, not one of the greatest um, losses of COVID. Obviously, COVID was horrible, but it, we were robbed with an absolute, like, once-in-a-lifetime away day there. Yeah, I mean, listen, do you remember, there's a couple of stories that, that Brody wanted me to tell. Brody sadly couldn't be with us tonight. But um, the first one was Brody recalled the goal um, that he's obviously scored like the, the the first of his two goals, as he likes to tell us. Um, and he said that if there'd been fans in the ground that day, like, yeah, he, he mirrors what you guys are saying. He said he 100% would have given it the most Titanic knee slide to the corner. But he said, as it, as it was, he just sort of stood there kind of being mobbed by everyone. And there was this, almost like a sense of anticlimax to it, that it was still unbelievable. But at the same time, it was kind of weird and eerie and sort of, just sort of hard to explain and he um you'll you'll recall guys that when we we finally got tom to come to the county ground with us um we had this really really touching moment that i, I thought was really says a lot about tom um and how he feels about the game and you know how much he appreciates what he's got he he said that one of the saddest things about um the sort of the, the quirky nature of, um, of of the legendary status that he's achieved, having did what he did that night, was the fact that he only the song when he returned to the county ground, he said Mildy told him that there was like <clears throat> there was a about two hundred fans in the car park, um, and there were fireworks going off, and you know they were all celebrating and whatnot. And he said 
he's obviously he's walking up the side of the arcles. He's got Jonah following him. I think DJ was chasing after him as well. And he said he heard the fans singing his name and he said he just couldn't believe it because he wasn't that kind of player. He had never enjoyed that level of popularity. And, he, and that's when it kind of hit him out, how massive it was. But then he said he kind of got in, I think he said he got in his car afterwards and he's driving home and he kind of was like, yeah, I've been robbed of a really, really special moment. Anyway, fast forward a couple of years and you'll remember last season we got uh, Tom to uh, come and, and visit us for the Rovers game and he came in the town end with us. And he said to me, as he was going into the ground, he said, you know what? All I ever wanted to hear was that song being sung in the county ground. Um, he said, that's the, one of my biggest regrets of my career. So similar where we've got Paul Caddis presenting a trophy last week, one of, the most, one of my most memorable moments will be standing next to Tom Broadbent in the town end when everybody started singing, who put the ball in the Oxford net, Super Tommy Broadbent, and seeing the look on his face. Like it absolutely meant the world to him. And of course, it will never quite be as magical as it would have been at the time, you know, enjoying it in real time. But I think we went some way to, um, you know, sort of closing a, closing a, a, you know, completing a chapter for him, so to speak. And there was silence. Someone, there someone was, well, how, how do you, how do you literally oh, how do you follow on? Like, it's, do you know what one of the one of the best things about this show, and it was it literally was that with Caddis last week, was getting every now and again we get an opportunity to rub shoulders with people that you know become absolute legends. Like we actually get an opportunity to do that in the flesh, and and what an honour! Like it's very very hard. You can you can say what I've just said is a bit schmaltzy and a bit bleh, like make you sick, but like seriously. Like to, to be next to Tom Broadbent when you walk in the town end with him and everyone starts singing that song is a special moment. You know, to get the opportunity to walk into the town end with Paul Caddis last week and be with him while he presents that trophy on the pitch to our fans that he didn't get a chance to present in 2020. Those are very, very special moments. So, no, look, I'm, I'm glad they kind of stopped you in your tracks because they're very, very hard to follow, aren't they, when you describe them like that? Yeah, exactly. Oh, go on, Joe. Oh, now you all want to do it. <laughs> No, I was just gonna say it's. I find it. There are moments where we do shows, we we speak to people, we we chat, and it's it's kind of surreal. Like, and the best thing about it, all of this sort of is, you idolise or I idolise these players and these, and these men, and genuinely they're the most down to earth people. They're really thankful. I've had two a.m. text conversations with Paul Caddis which saying it out loud doesn't feel like it's real. Um, <laughs> but the man, he genuinely, he loves Swindon Town Football Club. It means the world to him. And it's just to see someone that came through the Celtic Academy, one of the biggest clubs in the world, Scottish as you like, you know, nothing to do with Swindon. It was a job for him, essentially. And we've left such an impression on the man that, you know, he would tell anyone that he basically is a Swindon Town fan. Oh, yeah, 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 100%. And likewise, going back to Brody, you know, that here you've got a guy who prior to that night was a was a job in, appreciate that the guy had represented, you know, sort of king and country. You know, he'd served in the armed forces. You know, this guy's a hero. You know, this guy is literally a, an absolute hero. Then he goes on to become a footballer, joins us from Bristol Rovers, which is a top shit house move opportunity. Um but, you know, he's just a job in centre-back. You know, I think he was primarily popular 
um, because you know, obviously, Tom had Tom Tom had clearly gone and served, and I think to football fans, there's always a sense of pride if one of your players has, has had something to do with them, um, you know, with the armed forces. And Tom was okay, wasn't he? But he, I mean, he had his flaws. He was in and out of the team, and but I mean, the like the romance of football, you can't get away from it. Like to to <laughs> to think. I mean, Tom, Tom's all right. He'll tell you himself. He's handy enough. You know, he'll be. But he's honest enough to know that. You know, he was just a he was a decent lower league, you know, kind of centre back stroke squad member. But but that night, he transcended all of that, didn't he? He literally became sort of I don't know. I mean, I'm a hero. I'm certain I'm not just getting carried away with myself because we name a show after the guy. Like there there is something that happened that night that, in the eyes of all Swindon Town fans. There is not a there is not a fan in that ground that would not buy Tom Broadbent a drink if they stood next to him in a pub. Oh, uh, yeah, it, easy. It's, it's just but the thing is, is one we've had him on. He's such a nice bloke as well. And these he's one that you would be proud to call a mate, despite oh, what he's done for our club. Chris, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think if if you could wish that moment to happen mm. to a, to a footballer you would hope that it would happen to a bloke like tom oh exactly uh, and <laughs> uh, and you would also hope that it would happen to a bloke when there's fans in the so they they can actually appreciate and share that moment with him yeah for real but i think like i said i mean even though his career with us ended the kind of the way it did and off he went to eastleigh um and obviously now he's 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 you know plying his trade at south shields and congrats tom with your new employment Working in the financial services sector, as well as obviously playing for for South Shields, I think the the lovely thing if you're if you're Tom, you I think it's a really nice thing to think that he's got certain moments in his career that he's such a nice guy that you're kind of chuffed that he's got a moment like this that he'll never forget. Like, <laughs> and it's something we can all share because it wasn't just any game, was it? This is the thing. Whilst we're not just celebrating, we're not just being Tim Pot and celebrating a win over Oxford. The context of this, the whole thing was that not only was that a magical moment, but it was a moment we could all share, sort of, and we all never forget because it was against Oxford. Well, well the one thing about that is, is as as Rach and, um, and Joe have said, is, is how the personal feelings of that added into the all around thing about that and he's such a nice bloke look to be honest Tom Broadbent is better than South Shields <laughs> he should be playing at a higher level but he's such a nice bloke but with with that <clears throat> with that game as well when you said that how much it meant to people around because of this the time it happened it's it's so nice to hear that it's it's something apart from the fact we beat Oxford that how important it was to some people yeah I agree, Chris. Well, listen, we've had, I mean, look, again, we'll encourage everyone to share their, their their moment, even if it sounds a little bit repetitive. Let us know where you were on that night, what your recollections of it were, how you feel about it, or if there's any little little nuggets or little things that were said or funny text message you received. Um, come on, share it with us. Send us a tweet or send us a DM. Contact us via Instagram or hit that speaker request button and come on and tell us yourself for your chance to win a Sir Tom Broadbent Lounge um, goodie bag, including a personalised hoodie and lots of cool signed stuff from the club. Listen to me, cool, like I'm some kind of um, down with a kid's dad. But um, Nathan's done just that. So hello, Nathan. Good evening. Um, Nathan says that um, he, again, similar story to what I was, I was saying, he had people staying with him, um, friends stay, that had chosen to stay with him during lockdown. And he said, um, uh, I have a very emotional story of how me and my friend um, hugged madly 
in my living room while my wife shook her head and called us pathetic. And then when the second goal went in, we screamed so loud that it scared my wife. What an evening. <laughs> so, yeah, similar similar story as what we were all saying before. Um, story, stories of scaring the neighbours, scaring the pets, um, uh, scaring, scaring your loved ones. Um, what's um, Obviously, when the ball hit the back of the net, Chris, were there decibels at your end? Oh, there were. Well, like I say, scared the fish. Scared the fish. <laughs> but but, but it's, it, well, the one thing about that, it's like it's not very often it's, I get to watch football with all, all four of us. And it was great that it hit us all the same. Um, but the youngest one, isn't. It, she's not particularly a big fan of football, but she got into it. And, and that was, but while we were all there, I think we just had a, it was a different rapport with everyone, wasn't it? It was while you were, you're locked up with all your family at that time because you couldn't go anywhere. Mm. So just enjoy that moment together. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that, that's a really interesting point, actually, Chris, about about share, the sharing of that moment. Because like I said, I mean, my similarly, my, my daughter, there wasn't really a lot to cheer. You know, my eldest daughter has only ever, she's been to the county ground a couple of times. And, and I mean, she needs to wash her mouth out, but she'll tell tell you that, it's not, you know, it's not the top of a kind of entertainment priority list. I know, like, don't ask me why. I don't, some people you just can't legislate for them. But for her, she tells you she, she, she'd sooner do other things on a Saturday afternoon. But but there was something about that game. And I think just the fact that I think she really enjoyed just sharing in my complete unadulterated ecstasy that at a time was in pretty short supply. So... But listen, obviously, we talked we talked about the first goal, but then and we talked about, we talked about the fact there was joy because we weren't we weren't on the receiving end of another defeat at the hand of Oxford. But a few minutes later, um, end the stage end the stage right, um, a, a certain um, Tyler Smith, um, also Tom Broadbent says a uh, an absolute charlatan that never got a touch on his second goal. I mean, I I'm going to tell you what I did. I'd already, like I said, scared the neighbours um, or made them feel there was some kind of domestic incident about my property. The second goal went in and I, I sat there for about two seconds and I just stared at my, my, my daughter and I stared at her boyfriend in a state of complete and utter shock. I then literally ripped my Swindon Town shirt off my ran out into the kitchen, started swirling my shirt around, and then was literally doing laps of the gardens, swirling my shirt around. At which point, the neighbour that had already been out the window went, that you just got two and up. Well, well, Mark, unfortunately, you don't have the security um, clearance to know what I did. <laughs> I'm what drawing my own conclusions now, Chris. I'm, I'm really interested to hear um, how, how many holes were punched into walls at Ellis's end. What did you do, Chad? Yeah, uh, well, I can't remember. I it was I I was filled with that much adrenaline. I can't. I literally can't remember. I I, I think well, I screamed and ran around my house, and my mum told me to shut up because um, I was being too loud. So they were parked in the streets of Melksham that night. Yeah, indeed, yeah. <laughs> well, so Chris says he haven't got the security clearance. Um, Ellis was being told off by his mum. Um, <laughs> Joe, what were you doing? I'm sure it involved some kind of alcoholic solution. Yeah, uh, to be honest, I uh, I just remembered I was cooking a brisket that day 
on a smoker in my garden and I forgot about it <laughs> after the game. So, um, well, I, I, I watched around my nan's house, You were quite literally cooking the ox. Yeah, yeah, mate, absolutely. Um, I put it on before I went around my nan's house to watch the game. Got back. I think I went past or via Tesco's to get a few beers in. Probably got through a 12 box of Asahi and then realised, shit, the brisket's outside. To go and find the cremated remains of what was to be a tasty lunch. So brisket became the, the biggest pile of burnt ends man has ever seen. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, so what actually happened in Swindon? I, uh, so this is, this is the thing. I mean, I would love someone to come on and tell us. Because obviously, we're all out of town, right? Chris, you're right up north. Ellis is in Melksham. Joe's down in Hampshire. I'm on the London-Kent border. I mean, I would love if anyone was like, had a, a window open or, I mean, I've heard stories. I remember Nathan telling us he was hanging out of his window. He lives in, he lives in, uh, who was it? I think Nathan at the time was living in Oxfordshire or somebody was. And I remember them saying that they were leaning out the window, like just pelting it out about the fact that we'd just done, done I mean, literally he was behind enemy lines and he was giving it out. Window. I'd love to know what the decibel sounded like in and around Swindon when the ball's hit the back. Because there must have been a bloody enormous collective cheer going on um, in the domestic, in the, uh, in, in the, in the humble streets of, of Swindon. So if there is anyone that can tell us that story, please do either drop us a text, hit speaker request, but bring that moment alive for us. Because Chris is a valid, valid point. I would love to know what it sounded like in Swindon when that ball hit the back of the net. I can only imagine. It's a little bit like when you you decide to leave a game early and you're in the car park and we, we get a late equaliser or, you know, there's that roar that gets you wanting to kind of run back in the stadium. But obviously we couldn't do that. So, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd love to know what it was like. I wonder whether it was, I mean, Chris, could it, could it be like one of those moments where there's a, you know, there's an earth tremor in San Francisco and it just gets everyone kind of pausing. What the bloody hell was that? I really don't know, but... I mean, well, it, it could have been, but Claire's listening. She must have been bashing her drums. Why didn't she come on and tell us what she was up to? Yeah, come on, Claire. Earn your corn. Earn your corn. Let us uh, let, let, let us know what it's all about. But um, if anyone could come on and bring it to life for real, don't forget, as I said earlier, quality contributions yeah. will win a Sir Tom Broadbent Lounge goodie bag. Um, so, yeah, do make a point of coming on. But, listen, but it's like one of those things. I, I honestly can't remember. Like, obviously, some games are, are for reasons of work and, and whatnot that, that I can't go to, and I end up watching I follow. But it's never been that intense, never, ever that intense, but what it was that day. Mm. <clears throat> well, good evening, Claire. Julie requested, and here she is. Come on, Claire. You must know what it was all about that night. Can you bring that moment to life for us? Claire, unmute your speaker. Come on, we can't add you and then you go quiet on us. Right, good evening, everyone. <laughs> um, I remember running from my living room to my kitchen like a lunatic. The kitchen window was open. All I could hear was a collected, um, about three streets worth of screams. Um, it must have been every household for the next three streets. I never realised I had so many Swindon supporters living so close to me. And whereabouts? You tell us the street, Claire. But whereabouts in Swindon do you live? Uh, Dorkin. So you're in Dorkin, and you literally had about three streets worth yeah. sort of screen. What? What? What must that? Be like? Well, the funny thing was, I was like, 
they that's got they were all screamed at the same moment so i ran outside to the end of the garden and unknowingly a neighbor two maybe three doors away had done the exact same thing to see where the screams go and we looked at each other with just that look of yes and every time i see that said neighbor we always give that very same look <laughs> as if to say oh, i remember that night <laughs> Claire, I wonder whether said neighbour is Paul Merriman who's saying hello at the moment. Paul, if you are able, it'd be brilliant for you to jump on and bring the bring the moment alive, or anyone else for that moment. I, so, Claire, I also Claire's... remember, as a result of that, when I went to work, my supervisor at work is a Town End season ticket holder, and we just both walked in that morning singing the Sir Tom Bourbon song, and then about a week or two later. She gave me a Sir Tom Bourbon tree topper to go on my tree, and it has been on my tree as a topper ever since. Now, it's funny, because you're not the first person to tell us that Tom Broadbent sits atop of their Christmas tree. Yeah. Um, we, there, There is, I would say, we're probably getting up the sort of double figures now of people that have told us that, that um, yeah, I think the craze was started by a certain Jack Lampard. <laughs> Hello, Jack. Evening to you, by the way. And Jack is obviously the gentleman with Broadbent tattooed on his right bottom cheek. Um, long story. Um, we won't bore you. But, um, yeah, he's yeah, he's so I'm pleased that we're speaking to another bo another body that's got Tom Broadbent on top of his Christmas tree. Is Tom Broadbent going to be on top of your Christmas tree this year, Claire? Absolutely. What a question, sort of question is that? <laughs> <laughs> right. Bravo, Claire. So, Claire, Claire's telling us a story of how Free Streets in Dorkin erupted with, with absolute racket. Um, if anyone else has got their own individual stories, send us a tweet, send us a DM, hit speaker request, and bring bring that moment alive for us as the um, as the ball hit the back of the net. Um, because I would love to hear what you've got to say. Um, come on, I've just, I've, Hannes, I've just, I've, throughout that uh, segment, I texted uh, my mate, who's an Oxford fan, and asked him the question. And and well, I just asked him what are the memories of the two one Broadbent win uh, in twenty twenty. I won't tell you exactly what he said, but it's two words, and it starts with F, and it ends with F. <laughs> Well, they, they, can be, they can be salty all they like. I Joe, mean, why have you got a why have you got a friend that's an Oxford fan? Uh, he's my girlfriend's friend, but he's he's the best Oxford fan I know. How so many do you know? One. <laughs> so he's an acquaintance. He's not really a friend. Um, <laughs> Paul, Paul, Paul's saying, regrettably, he's in bed. He's up early. Um, he's going to try and come on the show on Saturday. Paul, listen, I know you're listening in. That's why you can send us a tweet or a DM, mate. You can bring that moment alive, ladies and gents. You don't have to come in and disturb your entire house by doing so. But um, but nonetheless, let's 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 move swiftly along. We're going to continue to take calls on that broad bent on that broad bent theme and that particular moment. I mean, it, look, the, the the thing is, it's it's. I guess what we're trying to say is like a, just a recall. It's not about celebrating it win over our rivals it's not about that this is this is about the romance of football this is about a little glimpse of light at a time where there was very very little this is about sort of that, that transcend um football 
and 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 the origins, if you will, of legends, and and just how bizarre and left field, and and how these things only that happen in in ways that only football can throw up. But um, but listen, I mean, moving on, guys. If we talk about what football's been like, because obviously that season we we've all we talked about oh, probably too long about how dreadful that season was. But we talked about football post lockdown, and uh, and we talked about the fact that you know there's. You know, we th- there's lots of stuff that we probably, if there was a lining from that god awful season of lockdown, there's lots that we we probably don't take for granted as a consequence of maybe we did before lockdown. I'm just get guys go around you lot individually, each of you sort of you know, Chris, I'll start with you. What was probably the one thing that you took for granted about going to the football or supporting Swindon Town that as a consequence of lockdown you no longer do? Or maybe as a consequence of the of, of this particular game you no longer do? Uh, I, I don't know if there's something I no longer do, but the one thing about uh, from from the lockdown is I just appreciate the the day with mates before. So it's, for me, if I, if I go out to a game, normally for me, going to a game is a day out. It's not going to the football. So I don't just turn up just before and leave straight after. I'll go up and I'll meet up with people and whatnot after. But to me, football is a way of keeping in touch with people and then seeing that your mates are all right and that everything's great with them. And uh, and I think the lockdown and, and whatnot emphasise that even more for me. I'll tell you what, Chris, it's a very interesting point. And, you know, Joe and Ellis, I'll take your view on this because obviously we shared a, an interesting Swindon Town weekend of the weekend just passed, didn't we? But I, um, if you had said to me, say two years ago, when we really started seeing a big push for the women's game in particular, I kind of was of the opinion that I felt like I was being force-fed a, a sport or, or sort of segment of our, of our game that I just wasn't really kind of in the mood for. Like, I, I just, I was like, look, I can take it or leave it. I'm not really that fussed. I'm, you know, I was quite sort of closed-minded, really, when it came to, you know, to the women's game. And and I make no, you know, I make no apologies for it because I've been on a on a real journey over the last 12 months and I, I still am on, the, on a very, very steep learning curve with it. But to your point, Chris, I think one of the things that really surprised me was just how excited I was in the build-up to... Um, Swindon Town women versus Plymouth Argyle women on Sunday. And and to your point, Chris, the football was a really important part of the day for sure. And I was looking forward to seeing a game of football. But there was something really, really quite special in having that opportunity to get in the car, drive down, you know, drive around the M25, M3, M4, meet up with you guys, um, enjoy the football, enjoy the banter, enjoy all the sort of pre-match patter, see all the familiar faces in the Legends Lounge and lots of new faces in the Legends Lounge, um, go for a meal after the game. Again, all that kind of banter, all the patter we normally enjoy on a Saturday and make our way home. Now, I'll tell you what, my point I'm trying to make is it didn't matter that it was a men's game, a women's game. Like What mattered was exactly what you were saying, Chris. It was that touch point with my football friends and the opportunity to just sort of, after a long week, go and let off some steam. I don't think I would have been that open-minded had lockdown not happened. Uh, I completely agree on that. And uh, like, uh, uh, as I alluded to there, uh, um, it's a bit difficult for me to get to the women's game. But I've um, certainly with, with uh, such up with Swindon, I've, um, my interest in it has peaked up a hell of a lot since then. because, And especially with the club moving them in together. 
the, um, I, I don't know for me, you just love, love all things Swindon Town, don't you? And um, but the one thing about that is is the the lockdown and how some people suffered from the loneliness and whatever from just makes makes the match day for me seem a bit more of an, a whole experience rather than just going to football. You know, it's, oh, you're going to see friends. So it's a day. It's not just the game. Yeah, no, I, I mean, you're right. I mean, what, you know, what, what about you, you know, Joe? It, I mean, you were there obviously at the weekend as well when Ellis was with me as well. Um, you know, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know whether you kind of follow my logic, but there was... I don't know. There's just this. I've definitely got this kind of. It's almost got me to reevaluate the things that are important to me and making the most of when I do leave the house now. Like I don't tend to find that I'm wasting my time. Um, what um, you know? So so yeah. I don't know. I, I just. It's almost like it, it's heightened my um, my willingness to kind of get my ass down the M4 and make the most of seeing all my mates that I, you know, like I said, you know, for the best part of two years, didn't have that opportunity to do as, as readily as I would like. Um, am, I, am I chiming with you as well? Yeah, yeah, 100%, mate. Like, I think a big thing that's come out of the last year of the, the Tom Broadbent Lounge being a being an entity is I didn't know anyone at Swindon, personally, really. I, I went to games and, you know, I supported town for years and years and years, but I'd never really go to go with a mate i'd bring i'd converted a few of my mates from from home to be not swindon fans but have an interest in swindon and they'd always be down for a london away day to go on the beers and and go watch the game and stuff but it's nice meeting you guys and obviously going to a game knowing that i'm gonna meet yourself hannah's or ellis on the way and it's just nice to to have some faces that you're you're close with and enjoy swindon together um Mm. And I think it's it's sort of to me football's a family, and it's it's reinstated the fact that Swindon is my family, and the women's team are a part of that family. You know, we went went for a meal after the game on on Sunday with Annie and Lanes, and they're absolute gems. Like the banner's hilarious; they, they they're a good laugh, and it's just yeah, I think lockdown being as isolating as it as it was, um, and then for me to come back and set well, personally come back and build relationships with, with other Swindon fans and relationships with players and the women's team. It's just, yeah, that's that's what football should be to me. Yeah, so Joe, do you think had it, if lockdown hadn't happened, I mean, look, I'll tell you for a start, I think it's, it's interesting when I think back to the origins of the Sir Tom Broadbent Lounge. I think one of the reasons, I, I never forget, I, I'd been... I'd been invited on to speak to Alexi Laylas about something football related. I can't remember what it was, but it was the first time I'd been on Twitter Spaces, and and I, and as a consequence of you know there was there was such a drive on conferencing sort of technology, and so I, I, my eyes were kind of open to sort of opportunities, if you will, to engage, much like we're doing now, you know, but over you know over the digital space and. And I just remember, sort of, I, I don't think I would have been in that position to have had that invite to go and speak with Alexi on his show if I hadn't kind of, I don't know, just sort of had my eyes opened to, 
you know the various technologies that were that were unfolding at that time it just meant my increased awareness then led to you know us actually going actually there's this really interesting very easy to use thing that i'm going to use and guess what here we go like and then before you know it i remember we 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 the idea came up for the Saturn broadband lounge and then we threw the show up within 15 minutes and I, lo and behold we ended up with like a couple of hundred town fans listening in and that, so we called that almost like our pilot and the feedback from it was absolutely fantastic like we were like look if we're going to do it we're going to be glass half full on everything you know listen you know i think one of the things that's really important when you you know when you put any kind of entertainment piece together is that you try and leave people sort of like you know with a smile on their face and so hopefully they'll want to come back and feel good about engaging with you on your next show and 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 so on and so on and such like and the feedback seemed to suggest that we were onto something but so I think that's really, really, that's really interesting. I don't know whether Satom, the Satom Broadband Lounge would have actually existed had lockdown not happened. Because I just, I think it just increased my, it cr- increased my desire to want to engage with my football friends. But like I said, also my eyes were open to new tech, Joe. Does that all make sense? 100%, mate. I mean, Zoom calls went absolutely massive through lockdown. I had I had Zoom calls on the nightly with with a couple of mates, and we'd have a beer together over the over the laptop. You know, we'd get a case of beers in, and we'd get a nice bottle of whiskey, and we'd set up a pub quiz, and you'd just you know listen to music together or something. It was it was silly, but we didn't ever use those technologies other than in the workplace, really, before lockdown. Even you know, I guess Zoom meetings were a thing if you were chatting to people abroad but usually you'd find a way to meet up in person wouldn't you um and it's just yeah it's mental if lockdown didn't happen and there were ten thousand people at the oxford game does john sheridan whack tom broadbent up front because ultimately i mean fans would have a grumble i'm not being funny if we're one nil down you imagine the booze yeah as broadly goes on and then can you imagine what what would have gone through tom's mind yeah you're bang on joe it's a valid point so, yeah, I mean, I suppose for me personally, the, the lockdown, the best thing that's come out of it was probably the show. Mm. So, OK. Yeah, I mean, because like I said, it very much kind of normalised the idea of, of us being in these kind of digital spaces sort of socially. As you said, Joe, you only really came into these places if it was. I mean, I remember there were a lot of Twitter spaces that I remember seeing going live and it was all about. Things I don't really understand, like NFTs and crypto and and all this kind of jazz, but there was never anything real, or or there was, you know, was, there was sort of like, you know, kind of almost like sort of seemingly fanatical religious chat groups that were getting together. Things that just weren't my cup of tea. So the the idea of of doing something like this, yeah, I mean, to to think of, yeah, I genuinely don't think there'd be a Saturn Broadband Lounge had it not been for the COVID lockdown. Like, we would just put it to you that way. So. Okay, interestingly enough, just give me a yes or no. Chris, do you feel you love Swindon Town Football Club more or less because of lockdown? Um, more. Certainly, I've found that I, I, uh, I can appreciate and enjoy the match days more because of what lockdown did. More. Ellis, how about you? 100% more. I think that the, the first goal we scored when we were back at the county ground was sort of a, a feeling that you can't really measure. So, yeah, 100% more. Yeah, I, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what's very, very interesting. I remember standing there, first game of the season, and I, I remember 
like this is going to sound like real, really, really, really schmaltzy now, but I remember vividly um, tears in my eyes um, in the um, uh, Carlisle game at home. And it was a shame how that game ended up unfolding. But I remember standing there and there was something about just being back with everybody. And it was, I felt really, really emotional. And I'll tell you the, the thing about that as well is that I, I I remember recalling that kind of, unpre- the only way I could put this is like unpredictable emotion. So I remember when my, when my twins were born, I remember standing there in the, in the operating theater and, and hearing them cry and just literally it was like nature at work. I just burst into tears that I didn't feel coming on at all. And there's been other moments in my life, like momentous moments in my life. I remember around my wedding day, I remember around christening days, but certain moments when you're just overcome by this white, like almost like a tsunami of emotions that you just don't expect. And I remember, um, because I'm not quite sure why, but I, I mean, where I sit, I'm, I'm right in the middle of the town and right out the back. And I, somehow I found myself, I was halfway going back down the stairs to essentially the spot behind the goal. I was halfway down as the lads were all coming out. And I just remember there was just that cacophony of noise and the sound of the foghorn. And I just remember, it's making the hair stand up on the back of my neck as I say it. I just remember the the feeling like, oh my God, like, you know, like this is, this, this, this truly is like incredible. Like we've, We've not only had all of the lockdown aspects of it, but we had that god awful season. We've nearly lost the club, but like here we are, and we're all back together. And and there was like, if I recall, we had nearly ten thousand people in the ground that day as well. But it kind of felt like one of those days, like where we have well in excess of ten thousand in the crowd. Like, that, yeah, it was a very very special moment. So, um, yeah, cool. I mean, yeah, wonderful times. I. I, I I don't, I don't know whether I got yeses from all it. So, Chris, it was a yes from you. Ellis, did I get a yes from you? Yes. And and what about you, Joe? Yeah, I think so as well. You know, it was just... I remember my first game uh, back last season, it kind of felt surreal. And I think mm. getting back into a full football stadium with... Well, last season we were getting probably eight, 9,000 at the start of the season. People properly, like, going for it and... The atmosphere was actually quite good at times last season. I think at points this year, it's been a little poor. Uh, but yeah, last year, everyone was buzzing to be back into the grounds. It was it was special. And I think it's anyone that said that they didn't at least refine a certain amount of love for the game after getting back into the grounds is probably telling fibs. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. I mean, listen, it's it's a... It's an absolute yes from me as well. Probably to a fault. If I, 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 hands up, I don't mind telling that, telling you that myself. I think the really interesting thing on my personal journey with all of this stuff is that I had a, I had a, a job that kind of allowed me to keep going into work during lockdown. So to a, to a degree, there was a feeling of almost like a, a bit of a normal routine, a rhythm to my life. Um, the, the weird thing was when I was coming home, it was like dealing with like the kids and their frustrations because I had a house full of kids. You know, my, my missus couldn't go off to work. You know, I was, like I said, I was watching Swindon on iFollow, which is an awful experience, um, even at the best of times. 
Um, but I, you know, getting getting back to the county ground felt so special, and it was quite an emotional kind of reunion. I, I think I've anyone that again listens regular listens to the show or knows you know about my my journey. I mean, we have a we have a two hundred forty mile round trip to get to the county ground every week. Um, I appreciate it. it's not as long as some people out there, and all credit to you guys down on the south coast and some of you guys up north, and and Andy and the like over in Norfolk. There are people that have got bigger commutes than me, but we plough an awful lot of mileage into getting to the county ground. And and when that wasn't part of my life, I kind of, I, I realised just how important that is, you know, to my own kind of sense of escapism. You know, London's an interesting place to live. For those of you that, are, that live here or have lived here, you'll know that, you know, the city comes with certain pressures and, you know, some parts of London can be very, very happy and, and decent to live in other parts. Not so. Um, as a Swindon fan, surrounded by Palace, Charlton, Mill fans, as I keep saying, it can be a very lonely place at times. So, but weirdly, like I said, to a fault, I find that getting, getting back to Swindon Town, I probably, if I can, I care a bit too much because... I appreciate as somebody that worked in the football media space for 20 years, you know, I, I find I, I have very, very low tolerance for people that kind of over egg the criticism in our current sort of, in our, in our current state. I think one of the benefits of running a, running a show is that obviously quite clearly we enjoy a certain proximity of our football club, which means we get to see certain things behind the scenes that maybe most fans don't, which gives us a slightly different frame of reference. Um, now, that's not a question. That's not. That's not me saying we're we're in the know because it's not like that. But I think we are. We're connected to the realism of certain decisions that are being taken, um, and I think it's very very difficult to sort of stomach some of the of the harsher criticisms. I would say of the football club or certain results and so forth. I think my view is very much kind of. I think I probably am a little bit um, rose tinted, but. Um, Hey, listen, like I said, it's, um, you know, shoot me. Like, I love our football clubs. Not really much I can say about that. But um, but listen, I mean, like, so I think we're all sort of of the opinion that sort of COVID was good in terms. And, and I'll tell you what, talking about the broader level as well, the number of plus 10,000 crowds that we've had. I mean, I remember back in the day when we, um, when I was involved as a shirt sponsor at the football club um, under Decanio, you know, our, our, our crowds last season. You know, I remember having conversations with Nick Watkins and him telling me that, you know, the break-even point for Swindon back then was like 7,000. And it kind of felt to him that it was always a real struggle to get us over that barrier. Well, you know, like last season, I think generally, um, that kind of felt like, like well, that's a that's the bare-ass minimum standard. Everything was up from there, boys. Would you not, would you not agree? Uh, pretty much, though, I thought um, when we, like, when last season went went really well, and um, I mean, if, even even like last, were we last season on on break even at seven thousand? And we were we were well above it. I guess that's 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 the whole point. I mean, like, yeah, Carlisle. Obviously, we kicked off with nine four. Um, you know, I mean, like literally, just like track through, like you know, our home games. If we weren't significantly higher than like eight k. You know, 9K, we had like more five-figure um, attendances last season than I can remember in a very, very long time. And and obviously, let's not forget um, the majesty of the Man City game as well, which was just yeah. absolutely bloody spectacular. Yeah, and also the uh, the Forest Green and the um, and Barrow. Was it Barrow when we opened up the Stratton Bank for home fans as well? So so they would have been, what, 12,000? 
Yeah, Barrow was yeah Barrow was thirty three hundred and fifty five, mate. It was absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. So I think we're talking about do do we love our club more as a conversation as a as a result of COVID? And listen, it's not just us speaking, guys. I think we 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 speak for a large section of our fan base. Um, in saying that that's got to be the case, right? Like, you know, I, I, I think it's, I think it's one thing. It's, it's, well, we all love a club. I don't think we love a club anymore or less, but I think we realise how we, how much more important or how important that club is into helping us deal with how we go through life. Yeah, it's an interesting point, Chris. I think it's, yeah, it's, it's probably one of those where the certain games where you up and are about your ass off a seat and get into the county ground. You're probably more inclined to get your ass beat now, right? And go and enjoy, some, go and enjoy some people coming. But, um, but listen, I mean, just just taking us back to the Oxford game, I'm going to have a little straw poll from you lot. Then, as we we were saying to each other earlier in the week, Chris, Happy Tyler Smith Day, which is in effect the Boxing Day to to Broadbent Day on the 29th, will forever be known as Tyler Smith Day. A yes or no from all of you? Did Tyler Smith? Get a touch, crispy. Well, you know my answer to that. No, no, he didn't. Ellis, no, no. Joe Vincent, uh, probably, but no. Oh, a little bit of splinters your ass. Well, it's a no <laughs> from me, ladies and gentlemen. So, um, yeah, we obviously, unfortunately, the the FA see it a slightly different way. But all of the opinion that. Um, you know, Tyler, good luck to you, mate. You you, you get your nod, you get your goal, but we all kind of know the reality. So Tom got both. So um, so here's a question for you, though. So whilst we're talking about Tyler Smith Day, Chris, do you think Swindon Town would have stayed up if Tyler Smith had been a regular selection rather than just sat on the bench or not even included in the squads? Uh, that's a very, very tough question. I think there's... There's so much more in the mix here. I think if, if Matt Smith hadn't been treated like shit, we might have had a better chance as well. And Tyler Smith is one thing. Uh, if he'd played regularly, uh, we would have had a better chance. Mm. Can I sit on the fence with that? Yeah, if you because I'll, I'll move on to Ellis. Ellis, what do you think, mate? Do you think if Tyler Smith had remained an automatic selection, um, because he... He never seemed to want to play him alongside Brett Pittman, did he? But do you think if he did, we would have stayed up? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, I think so. Because, uh, well, every time he seemed to be played, he seemed to score. Yeah. So, you know, maybe if he if he did get given that sort of, well, place in the starting lineup, then, yeah, I've, I've, we certainly would have seen more goals from him. Um, to your point, Ellis, Tyler Smith scored 10 goals in 17 starts for Swindon Town Football Club that season. 10 goals in 17 starts. So, by virtue, let's, let's, if, if you want to play that logic all the way out, you know, you could argue that he was on track for a 30 goal season, couldn't you? Yeah, exactly. So, and there's not teams get relegated with a 30 goal striker. Exactly. So, like, I've, I think it's sort of a, it's a weird one anyway, because at the time there was a lot of questions being asked as to why he wasn't being put in the starting lineup. Um, but yeah. Mm. What about you, Joe? Do you think we would have stayed up with Tyler Smith had been a regular starter? I was just thinking a team of Travers, Caddis, 
Conroy, Bowdry, Thompson, Iandlo, Smith, Payne, Jayasimi, uh, Tyler Smith, and Scott Twine keeps us up that year. Well, a regular team of that. Let's 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 also, you know, we've 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 lampooned him earlier, the Port Pie Pele, but Brett Pittman himself got twelve goals in thirty starts. So again, if you play that logic out, if we ended up having a thirty goal striker in Tyler Smith, and I appreciate if they both played together, it's unlikely they would have ended up sort of Tyler probably wouldn't have hit thirty. But let's say Tyler ends up scoring twenty goals and Brett Pittman goes on to score twenty goals. You know, not many teams get relegated with a 40-goal strike partnership, do they? And you've got the big man-little man partnership going on there. I think Brett Pittman had got to a stage where we probably should have just just played him as the big bump with his back-to-goal. Um, well, because I, I actually thought when they did play together, it looked all right. Well, well the, thing, the thing with those two there as well, if, if, if Smith plays with Pittman, Pittman doesn't have to move. Mm. Smith will go and do all the work. And Pittman would have... It, 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 it possibly would have scored 20 goals because Tyler Smith was a workhorse. And yeah. him himself would have... They would have probably got 40 goals between them, no doubt. But as a partnership, I think they would have done pretty well. And can you imagine? I mean, Scott, Scott Twine at seven in 22 starts. Mm. So can you imagine Scott Twine feeding off the scraps of those two as well? So Scott Twine could have pushed on and got, say, more than 10. Essentially, <laughs> you know... I think the, the, the more and more we look at this, I mean, it was interesting, wasn't it? When Tyler Smith left, I remember the official supporters club, you know, Vic got him on. He was, he was a very, very popular boy. He conducted himself, certainly in the eyes of the fans, he conducted himself well, didn't he? You, you, yeah, he did, did it. But if you've got Scott Twine playing 10 behind those two, we would have stayed up. Mm. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Yeah. Yeah, I'll make you right. Um uh, but we've got, but sorry, guys. We've we've got apologies, by the way. And we were hoping we we're going to get uh, Charlie Austin on again tonight. But for anyone that hasn't been paying attention to the World Cup today, you'll you'll put two and two together and realise that obviously Charlie is um, is is deployed down in Australia for Brisbane Raw at the moment. And uh, it's fair to say Australia have had a fairly big day today, guys. Would you not? This would you not agree? Yeah, just a bit. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, by virtue of Australia dispatching the Danes 1-0, um, Australia have made it through to the last 16, um, along with France. So um, congratulations to our Australians. And yeah, unsurprisingly, um, Charlie's probably um, knee-deep in a combination of um, Aussie, Aussie beer and uh, media duties down there. And we, we wish him all the best. But we'll have um, Charlie will be back on the show next week. So just in case any of you were uh, wondering what might be uh, might have been happening with Charlie this week. But listen, I mean, what what better way to to you know to bring that um, bring that segment to a close than with a little bit of chat about the unsung hero of that night because obviously the, the win came courtesy of a certain T Smith ninety I think it was ninety was it ninety plus two if I recall so um, we send Tyler Smith all of our very very best wishes and uh, and and firmest tongue in cheek when it comes to crediting Tom with both the goals. But um, really, really lovely lad, Tyler Smith, and it's good to see him going on doing ever so well for himself at Hull. So um, yeah, it's not. Um, I guess final final word from you all guys on um, on on that god awful season and and uh, the things that have come off the back of it. I think there's quite clear um, silver linings for all of us, isn't there, in relation to that absolutely dreadful season? Hindsight, I think, is. Is is a, is a wonderful thing, 
uh, and time is a healer and all of that. But um, I think we've emerged out of that god awful season with enough sort of just about enough silver linings for us uh, for us all to not be too bitter about it all. Who wants to go without Ellis? Yeah, well, sort of everything happens for a reason, right? So obviously that season sort of got power out of the club, uh, got Clem taking over the club. And if you look at the position of what we're in now, um, you know, you you would sort of take that that relegation because if you look at the stability of the club, like you can't argue it, really. Financially, I don't think we've ever been on a better footing, Ellis. And I think that's exactly yeah. Finances being being published that you know, unless there is some significantly sort of iffy skullduggery game which you clearly think we'd know about it because, like I said, our budgets are being published. I think the club's finding it's, you know, we, we certainly in my time in the club, I don't think we've ever been on a better footing. We, I mean, the Bert Black era was interesting because Bertie was such a wealthy chap that, you know, we kind of felt any expenditure was being covered by him. But, you know, in terms of actually clearing debt, and us rebuilding our standing with people that might offer us credit moving forward, and it's that that obviously we start to, to you know, um, speculate on and, you know, and try and develop the squad on and, and build the ground on and all these kind of things. I mean, we're, yeah, I agree with you. We're in a much better place. Um, how about you, Chris? I was, yeah, <clears throat> I was just saying, look, um, going back to that as well, from the um, from that disastrous season, I think we enjoyed last season so much more, starting from that Scunthorp game, and we had great following to every game that that season was so much better because of the previous season and because, the, well, we just start the new era, didn't we? Well, seventh, all I'll say to you is this. Um, you know, if it cast your mind back to the 7th of January um, and, you know, the 78th minute of that game, a certain H. McCurdy scuttling down the, uh, scuttling down the flank in front of the Arkles cuts inside and catches their keeper out with an absolute beaut of a finish. Mm. You know, at, at, that, at that stage, we're already 3-0 down against, you know, arguably the best football team on the yeah. planet. But the, the roar in the ground was like nothing I have ever experienced. And and one of the things that it kind of immediately sort of, I mean, I you know, there's, you know, those wonderful black and white pictures of like Chris Kamara that literally sort of like five, six years before my time, where you've got people standing up on like you know the the old Shrivenham Road stuff, you've got people standing up on like <clears throat> and things like that, almost like sort of pre health and safety. I, I could only imagine what it was like. We had like thirty thousand people in the county ground. What it sounded like that roar on the seventh of January in the seventy eighth minute when McCurdy did that is like I, I, if you could bottle that. Yeah, you could do, but also I'd like to add to that is experiences from from when I was in the stadium. Unfortunately, I was uh, unable to go to that one. But when I was at Walsall, uh, and when we scored, the well, the atmosphere all the way through that game was off the charts. And also the one that uh, the Port Vale home game, uh, and when we scored on that, it was just brilliant. And it's it's like. That's why you love football. Yeah. Uh, well, listen, I, I I completely agree with you. How about you, Joe? Uh, I think I can pretty much summarise the 2021 season in six words. Um, so I would just literally summarise that entire season 
Wellens, Sheridan, Giacimi, goalkeepers, power, Broadbent. <laughs> Mic drop. Um, nicely done. Well, listen, let's, uh, what a wonderful segment that was. A lot of fun. And thank you for your contributions, those of you um, that chipped in. Um, we've got some, I'm very excited. I've got my tickets in the bag. We've got a certain game um, just down the M23. We've got Crawley at the weekend. Um, I mean, now, interesting one, isn't it? Crawley, obviously, um, owned by the We're All Gonna Make It United ownership group um, are, <laughs> at the start of the season. Um, there was an awful lot of hype around um, around Crawley. Um, obviously, cryptocurrency-based consortium. There's about 30-odd crypto brains that make up their, their ownership group, but uh, they're mainly led by a guy called Preston Johnson. His mate, Hunter Oral and his mate, Eben Smith, are the kind of front men for the we're all going to make it ownership group. Um, so, yeah, at the start of the season, there was so much hype around these guys. Obviously, they, they they built on the hype quite nicely. I mean, obviously, pinched our... Uh, I say pinched. He was probably gone anyway. I don't think it was... Uh, we were really fighting that hard to keep Dion Conroy at the county ground. Um, no disrespect, Dion. Um, I'm sure you get where I'm coming from. Um, and Dominic Telford as well, who'd obviously been slamming them home for Newport, um, top scorer in the division last season, um, also made his way from Newport County, um, uh, a, um, a headed east, um, and um, got himself a pair of boots um, at that strange little stadium um, tucked just off the back of an industrial estate in Crawley. So a um, whole host of things that have been going on down at Crawley that have been raising eyebrows. They, uh, at the start of the season, absolute disaster videos where this strange guy dressed as a devil was shithousing any, any team that Crawley were playing um, in a way that, you know, I don't know, I just don't think went down particularly well with English football fans. The fact that the guy was speaking with a, an American accent didn't do him any favours. And then just before the FA Cup, they decided to give three of the sidemen an opportunity to join the squad. And their owners were coming out and spewing reasons as to why that that was all right and that their fans should be very forgiving and such like. And then we had the small matter of a Carabao Cup pitch invasion where um, said Hunter Oral um, was uh, videoing himself on the pitch at a time where all the authorities were clamping down on fans entering the playing surface. So um, not, not the... Not the, not the best things to be doing, but look, their season could be summarised a little bit like this, really. They're generating, at the moment, under a point per game played, and they're conceding nearly two goals a game. They're on their third manager of the season. Highly rated Kevin Betsy came in at the start of the season, um, Arsenal Academy coach. Um, they, it's not the first time that they've appointed a uh, highly uh, respected young coach. Dan McKitchie, you'll all remember, was a, I think he was the England under-18 coach. But anyway, Kevin Betsy joined them. And he's got the push with a home record that Red played 9-1-4, drew one, lost four. Um, and they've not managed to find an away win all season. They've lost five and drew five. They've had slight upturn in their form since mid-October. Um, they've had back-to-back -back wins against Mansfield and Newport County. And they've managed draws against Bradford and Colchester United. So that's not too bad. It's even more respectable when you take a look and see that they picked up a win over Barrow, although they have bumped right back down to earth with defeat against Warsaw. Although a Crawley fan told me today we stopped the rot because they managed to get themselves a draw against Gillingham. No disrespect there, getting a draw against Gillingham Town fans, is there? Um, 
nonetheless, that weird little little run of results um, did wasn't enough to save Ashley Young's brother Lewis um, from getting the chop. And this week, Lewis Young was sacked and replaced by former Tottenham winger Matt Etherington. And the chap that seems to have followed Matt Everington around in his career, certainly when he made the move from Peterborough to Tottenham back in the day, a certain ex-Welsh international Simon Davis. So they're on their third manager already in 2022-23. And Everington's come in somewhat concerningly for us, maybe, ahead of Saturday, promising dashing, attacking football. So, um, listen, I mean, like I said, I've, I've got multiple tickets in the bag and all of um, Shez Hannah's will be piling into a car and down the N23 for this one on Saturday. What's the vibe, Chris? How are you feeling? Um, well, it can't be any worse than last year, can it? See, listen, I, I, I've got all right, broadly. I've got to be honest, like generally, I mean, all right, I've got horrible memories. Yeah. Nathan Thompson getting himself a red card, but I, I've got positive memories of Medi Karuch and Karuch is on fire. I've got really positive memories of Anthony Grant absolutely mm. st- Roller in um, his way into the Crawley box as part of yeah. that 4 0 absolute thumping in the rock. Yeah. Glorious away day for Swindon. But um, it, it sounds like you might be a little glass half empty on this one, Chris. Well, the, the other thing as well is, though, um, I think it might be too soon for Johnny Williams. I don't think, I don't think he'll be involved. It's, it, it's just too soon. But Angus McDonald and Tom Clayton have been back in training. Rashawn Epburn Murphy's back. Uh, I think he might be a bit off, but I think there's a good chance McDonald might be back. So we're starting to get everyone back. And But the crew game, I thought that the midfield didn't work. So I would like to see that freshened up a bit. To be honest, I think it's the time for Lewis Reid to come back in. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll make you right. Well, look, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. <coughs> What's, what, Ellis, are you making your way down to Crawley or are you, uh, you having to stay in Melksham? Yeah, um, well, can't get there. No car, so yeah, I'll be staying in Melksham. Well, I'm I'm sorry, mate, but this is one round trip that I'm not prepared. <laughs> no, I, I don't blame I, you. As much as I love you, champ, I cannot. Bring <laughs> um, again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no problem whatsoever. But yeah, I'll, I'll I'll be watching it from the comfort of my own home. Very nice too, and very nice too. And how about you, Joe? What's um What's your take? Are you feeling bullish? I was literally just looking on train line for train tickets. I, I wasn't planning on going, but my my missus is ill at the minute, and we were planning on going out on Saturday afternoon. So she's just told me that's off now. Uh-huh. So, yeah. Uh-huh. Was, well, something might happen. I might I might go. I'll have a look at it. If not, I'll definitely be watching at home. Are you going to be Sir Big Joe from the Big Joe from the Sir Tom Broadbent Lounge, Joe? You're gonna you're gonna start pulling in your media. Uh... Your media credentials are you and sitting up in the media box? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, the old media pass out. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. So, um, <laughs> how, how are you feeling? I mean, like it's they're a funny one, Crawley, aren't they? Because, like I said, if you if you go back through, if you if you look at their kind of recent results, um, they're like they they're certainly capable of causing an upset. I mean, obviously we thumped Mansfield, granted, but yeah, M- Mansfield and they've taken they've had a little bit of joy out of Bradford and they've beaten Barrow. So they're not a team. We're not going to go to their patch and have an easy day, are we? No, I, they're a bit of an unknown, really. Um, you don't really know what you're going to get out of them. There could be, I think, it probably comes to mind is that Gennaro Gattuso video of 
sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. And I, I think that's probably how you describe Crawley this year. I think, unfortunately, you probably describe Town like that as well a little bit at the minute. Mm. Um, so I think if Town can go there and play well, we beat anyone in the league, regardless of who they are. Yeah. Um, so you've got to focus on your own game, really, haven't you? If we go there and play, play how we know we can and to our best potential, we'll trounce them. Now, so you're standing in the away end. And yeah. I've no problem during the game. But I think it's the post and the pre-match I'm going to be talking about here is particularly telling. What sort of treatment are you going to be dishing out of uh, Mr. Conroy? Um, I'd probably be booing every touch, if I'm being honest. I'd Maybe when he comes out for the warm-up or after the game, give him a clap. But during that 90 minutes, it's basically just it's war. Yep, yeah, 90 minutes, I'll, I'll, I'll take that. What about you, Ellis? How, how would you be uh, handling... Seeing Mr. Conroy in a Crawley shirt. Um, not really bothered, to be honest. That's the, <laughs> the spirit. What I'm not even sure he'll play, actually. I think yeah. he's injured. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure yeah, he's injured. He's played this season. So we're speaking theoreticals, boys. We're speaking theoreticals. Chris, what about you, mate? Um, I, I, I would actually be very similar to what uh, Big Joe says. You know, in the warm-up and whatnot, you know, he's a former player of ours and, and was part of a decent era and he was part of the six. But during those, the 90 minutes against the game, is the enemy. If for whatever reason, this would be my take, if for whatever reason he performs a miracle and makes his way back in the Crawley squad, which is not unheard of when new managers come to the fore, um, I would be saying something along the lines of, yeah, 90 minutes of war, but hey, let's not forget, we will always have a lifting of the trophy where he was indeed skipper, and appreciate that's probably a little symbolic more than anything. But we will I think it's, more, it's more a case of he was one of the six who stuck around. Yeah, one that's of the, more that's and, more important to me. And let's not forget, Chris, we will always have Oldham. <clears throat> always, and <laughs> the wonderful commentary of the superb Andrew Hawes. Oh, what a moment. What a moment that was. Right up there with his best moments. Mm. Well, um, all right. So, listen, I'll take a quick, um, I'll take a quick, uh, I'll take a quick prediction from you. We won't linger. And hopefully I'll be looking forward to seeing you guys down at Crawley as well. But, um, Chris, let's have a score from you. 3-1. Uh, 3-1. And I'm taking that 3-1 town. Um, Ellis, how about you, pal? 4-0 uh, town. I think, I think we're going to absolutely steamroll them. Okay. Joe? Uh, I'll go 2-0 town. I think it would be quite comfortable. Yeah, I'm I'm going to go... I'm, I think they're going to make a little bit more of a fight of it. I've got a feeling it's going to be an edgy 2-1. 2-1 town. Um, and I've got a feeling a, um, a striker by the name of Jeff Cott is going to be the guy that gets our goals. Um, he's due a couple, and I think he will he will be our shooter on the day. Um we tip our hat, ladies and gentlemen. I mentioned it earlier. Swindon Town women nil. Plymouth Argyle women three. Um, the game was preceded by a fantastic round of applause for Town's ex-goalkeeper, um, Carl Heaton, who at the age of 22, sadly, um, passed away um, this week. And, um, 
yeah, I mean, it was really, really quite moving. There was there was a there was a really, really pleasing crowd. Um, approximately, I think the official number was four seven five. Um, so it was between sort of four hundred seventy five and five hundred people um, in the ground um, making up that applause, which I thought was really quite special. Um, the amazing thing about that crowd was that obviously the the double header at the county ground generated a crowd of about 750 people. So um, the thing that was really exciting about Sunday was that was a 500 walk up crowd um, that was just pure Swindon Town Women's Football Club. So, yeah, t- take our hats off. I mean, if ever you wanted an indication, as we said on the show at the weekend, that interest in our women's team is growing well a 500 crowd to the women's team meant the world when they quote before the game described their average attendance prior at fairford as being a few parents a dog and a duck so um amazing to see 500 people and yeah just listen i mean had it not been for an unlucky injury to town's goalkeeper emily mcgrogan um, as she came out to try and smother the chance that led to plymouth scoring that opening goal she rolled her knee on the turf and ended up um, playing on. Obviously, restricting her movement, that led to the second Plymouth second goal. Um, Emily, you could just see, was really struggling to get down to a shot low into the bottom corner. And also, you had a defence in front of her that were clearly um, a little bit rattled by the fact that their goalkeeper had practically no movement. Of course, there was no goalkeeper on the bench to replace Emily. Um, in the second half, at uh, half-time, Steph Ben um, Towns right back, Steph, by her own admission, a goalkeeper she is not, uh, but it was the best that the uh, the ladies team could muster. Um, and um, Argyle eventually fashioned an opportunity and just lashed the chance um, into the bottom left-hand corner that, um, by Steph's own admission, Emily would have probably saved. But, um, hey, listen, it's it's one of those things. So I think if you factor in, factor out the injury to Emily McGrogan, I think the game would have probably been a lot closer. Um, guys, I don't know whether any of you to sort of you know to to develop on that uh, to develop that point. Yeah, I, I think I think the game as a whole. I, I said this straight after the game. It, it um, Plymouth deserved to win, sort of one 0 at most. Um, you touched on Hannah's two two of the goals sort of just come from um, the injury. Obviously, second goal could, couldn't come off off the line. Uh, when but if she was fully fit, then uh, she probably would have been able to make the ball and make the save. And obviously, third goal, um, of being in goal wasn't a natural position, so it, it just it, it was one of those days where you know the bench they didn't have a goalkeeper on the bench, um, and yeah, it just sort of messed them up a little bit, yeah. But, I mean- they, they had a goalkeeper in the, you know, essentially available, but they were playing the under-18s who, and it would have been the under-18s keeper that would have stepped in for Emily. Um, bear in mind, Emily herself is only 17 or just turned 18. But um, the under-18s goalkeeper was playing away in Plymouth. So there was no way that she would have got back in time for this game, I think. The things that really sort of stuck out to us, provide we provided full commentary and analysis on the day was that I think the, um, you know, Towns women more than held their own against the side that are um, a tier above them. Um, it was pretty poor fare, to be honest with you. James Lally's um, women were, um, you know, struggled to get their passing rhythm going. There were some nice flashes of play, but they certainly didn't get back to the kind of patterns of play that we saw in the 10-0 mall in the Porton Rovers at the county ground um, six or so weeks back. Um 
And I think it was what was quite reassuring was after the game to an individual, um, they were all kind of kicking themselves. But, you know, they'd had a big opportunity in front of a big crowd at the county ground to put on a show um, and then a combination of bad luck and, and a fairly dogged Plymouth Argyle team kind of prevented them from putting on the show that they would have liked. But um, we keep our uh, we keep our fingers crossed and our eyes on the, on the women's team moving forward. Um, they are... Um, absolutely determined to put it right and their games are coming up thick and fast obviously they're still in the league and they still got uh, I believe they still got the plate that they're going after as well um they've got uh, Cardiff's coming up soon and Cardiff are unbeaten at the top of the league it's gonna be a huge game against Cardiff there's only one team are going to get promoted out of Swindon's league this year Cardiff are top at the moment currently unbeaten town sitting in fifth not far beyond them um certainly in a position to, to close that gap so we, uh, we 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 tip our hats to uh, Swindon Town Women's Football Club. We, it was brilliant that you had us as your um, as your media partners, um, and it will not be the last time either. Everyone seemed fairly happy with the level of coverage, and certainly from our point of view, brilliant fun, guys, wasn't it? Uh, Hannah, just before you stop, have we got an update on the nature of the injury to Emily and how serious it might be? No, we've not got an update. Although it seemed to be on the day. That um, yeah, she'd she'd sprained her knee, um, and it was all it was going to be a you know scans and so on and such like. Emily was limping quite heavily. I believe she left the ground on crutches, so I don't think she's going to be kind of you know rushing back in. So um, they're yeah, Bryony Bryony Heard told us didn't she after the game that um, she was part of the medical team that looked at her leg at half time, and it was essentially fully blue. Mm. Um, so. She she was actually advised to go to the hospital, but she decided against it and just said she'd come in for treatment the next day. Yeah, she's a tough old girl, Emily. Tough old girl, but she's a huge, huge presence in that women's team. Um, she's a massively popular character um, and a real imposing figure at the back. I mean, she's she's not much shorter than me. I'm a six-footer. She's not much shorter than me. Um, she's Her distribution is absolutely critical to how the girls play. So um, I think, but nonetheless, one door closed and another one opens and certainly the under 18 um, given that she's the only other goalkeeper on the women's team book um, will have a big opportunity a little earlier in her football career uh, to stake a claim so um, yeah we're going to we're going to wish the best moving forward but um, yeah as I was saying guys I mean Ellis and, and Joe you both joined me in the commentary box and Pete and you know we had numerous conversations with everyone from the captain Emily Annie Helena um, uh, Meg Attenborough in midfield um, it was a good fun day, wasn't it? <laughs> doing again, and certainly on a more regular basis as well. Hundred percent, and it, it was a really enjoyable game as well. I, I actually enjoyed the football. I'm glad you did, mate. I couldn't stand it. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I it was I, very frustrating, Joe, wasn't it? To follow, like I said earlier, I've got to be honest. It, I, I enjoyed. I enjoyed the fact I was in the county ground. I enjoyed the fact I was watching a game of football on the pitch. I We got a bit of skin in the game because we sponsor Annie and we sponsor Helena. So, you know, we're, you know you're kind of emotionally really invested in it as well. Um, obviously, it's always great to be back in the commentary box, having had such a big gap between pre-season when we did quite a few of the games and, and obviously this game. But uh, it, 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 one of those games where it's a little bit like, imagine watching the men's team. Um, and how frustrating it would be when Louis Reed can't get his game going or Sided Khan can't get his game working in central defensive midfield and the play just keeps on breaking 
breaking down. You know, you just can't quite like find those link passes to your forward players, and it, and that was the story of our day. It just kept we just kept on running down the same blind alleys and, and all resorting to sort of hopeful balls forward. And you know, Plymouth I thought were very adept at mopping it all up. But I enjoyed I enjoyed the day. I enjoyed the day. I mean, listen, like I said, I I travel a long way, so I I I, I could. Oh, I don't know. It's a bit like saying you make friends in an insurance seminar. Like, I, I, I always find a way to enjoy something about going to the camp, to the county ground. So, it was a it was a really good experience. And if I'm being honest, I've I've never watched the Swindon Town Women's team before, so I wasn't really particularly sure what to expect. If I'm being honest, mm. um, the standard of football was good. I think Plymouth were the better side, undoubtedly. I think I said it on commentary. We obviously we had the the official Swindon Town captain, Rianne, who's obviously recovering from um, giving birth to her second child. So that's why she's out this season. But having her sat next to us and giving us the sort of the co-coms and the insight into the dressing room and what the girls are like, you could tell that she was so frustrated watching the game um, because she knew that they weren't anywhere near the levels that they should be reaching. Mm. And they were on a stage where it's a big day for the football club. They're at the county ground and obviously they're there on their own merit. They're, they're The fans are there to see them. They're not, as you say, they're not there for a double header. And you kind of feel like a few players froze in that situation. They, the passing, the midfield was breaking down every single time. There was, there was a lack of cohesion or communication. The passing was off. I don't think Annie touched the ball maybe more than 10 times in the game, which kind of says it all. And we all know what a, a deadly finisher and how important she is to how Swindon play and, and succeed. It was it was poor. And Rianne obviously was really quite frustrated watching it as, as much as we are, probably, probably more so because she was disappointed that the girls couldn't quite put on the show that, you know, a lot of people had gone for. Having said that, I think my favourite part of the the entire day was sitting in the Legends Lounge before the game and just looking around all the families that were in there. You, you see, you know, mums, dads, daughters, sons. There were little girls aged four years old with Swindon shirts on with their, with their fruit shoot and they sat with their dad at the table and both of them looked like they're having a really, like, a, a nice afternoon out together and you can see that little kids were really genuinely really excited for it and were getting into it and to me as I said earlier on football's about family essentially and the women's team is probably I'd say more accessible for young children at the minute obviously we know what the town is like and I'm not too sure if I had a five-year-old kid I'd be particularly happy taking them to games at the minute with you know fruity language which I probably should apologise for um, on, on my own really but stink bombs and, and just a bit of a, a, a at times a sour experience some of the ASB Joe you're right some of the ASB in the town end is you know obviously the club have dealt with it I think to your point the thing that excited me you're right there were two things that really caught my eye on Sunday um, one was just to sort of back up your point about the, the you know the next generation, I think at a time where the clubs attracted a lot of heat for the way it's uh, sort of you know kind of blanket treated um, the under sixteen supporter bracket, um, I think it was great seeing our club putting its best foot forward 
and welcoming the new generation of supporters in. It really was heartwarming to see them all in the um, in the Legends Lounge, fathers with daughters. Um, there are a lot of young girls um, coming along, which I thought was truly wonderful to see. Um, so, um, if it was your first time, or you you know you you brought your, your you know your kids along for the first time, yeah, well done. Hopefully, it won't be the last time. I think the other thing that I love to see Joe, of course, was uh, Tory Taylor coming off the bench. And um, and nearly bagging one from uh, straight in the top corner from a fully forty yards, um, and that's um, uh, I mean again, listen, going back to the goalkeeper, I think it's always difficult. You know, if you haven't got a goalkeeper on the bench and you lose your keeper, there is a certain kind of sort of damage, if you will, to the kind of confidence and swagger a team plays with because you know you're only one shot from any distance away um, from a goalkeeper effectively flapping one into the top corner because that goalkeeper is in the case on Saturday ends up being a right back. You very, so, very, you very rarely see a team do well or win a game where they've got a player in goal. That's not a goalkeeper. Yeah. Think back to, was it Harry Kane winning goal for Spurs against Maribor in the Europa League years ago? And the first thing he does is let a ball go for his legs from that free kick. Yeah. An absolute P roller. You've got, I mean, to be fair, there are a couple of ones where you, players have got in goal when they're winning I think John O'Shea did it against Spurs. Kyle Walker did it in the Champions League for City. But very, very rarely do you see a player go in goal and not make at least one mistake. Mm. Yeah, and and that's the thing. I mean, look, you know, obviously I'm bound to say this because I'm an ex-goalkeeper, but if you're like, if your team is the balloon, then your goalkeeper tends to be the individual that kind of like the blows the confidence from, you know, into the balloon from the back for want of a better analogy. And we were talking earlier, weren't we, about Kovar? Um, in that god-awful season, which we're not going to go back and sort of rehash. But there's a prime example of, uh, on paper, a half-decent team that are, you know, fundamentally hampered by problems between the sticks. Um, and and it really did seem to kind of, you know, have a have an impact on, on the women's team on Saturday. So, listen, Plymouth, half-decent, they, they were probably worth the result in the end. 3-0 flattered them, and we give the girls the benefit of the doubt. Um, given the circumstances, but uh, we will we will all hopefully be back at the county ground sooner rather than later. Um, talking to Rob Angus before the game, his interview is exclusively available still um, on our Twitter um, feed. So have a look through our feed, and you will find the co- content from the weekend. Um, but Rob's talking about um, double headers are very much part of the thinking moving forward, and there will be plenty of opportunity before the season to come and see the women. For those of you that haven't, but. Um, Listen, guys, I've, I've not got a lot more to add tonight. Um, we'll bring sort of things to a halt. Joe, you usually have a little something to sort of throw in there. Have you got anything else tonight, mate? No, no, I think it's been a um, it's been a good one tonight. You know, it's it's been boring without Swindon playing and having to watch, you know, England draw nil nil to the USA over the last couple of time, a uh, couple of days and weeks. Um, just looking forward to getting back into the swing of it, really, back into some League Two action. Um. Yeah, I mean, obviously roll. we had the women's team last week, and now we've got the men's team this week to look forward to. So, happy days. Roll, roll on Saturday, Joe, and no excuses. Um, you've got all the excuse you need, in fact, to make your way down the M23 or up the M23 in your case. So we'll be seeing you on Saturday. What about you, Ellis? Um, panel, or is that you done for the night? Yeah, I'm currently laying in bed at the minute, but um. <laughs> no, but curry sauce, as is as is the case. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but I'm I'm looking forward to Saturday. Um, a few goals from town and a nice win would be lovely. 
All right, mate. Well, that'll do us nicely. Thank you for joining us, mate. And likewise, Joe. Chris, anything from you, mate, before we finish the night off? Uh, I would love to go to this to, to the game on Saturday, but it's just too far, um, especially when I've got two cripples at home. Oh, Chris, you massive plastic. Well, yeah. look, should hey, you... Can... But... <laughs> Yeah, but uh, I'd I'd love to do it. And also, um, I would need to go down on a train, but one one train goes wrong. And we can't trust these trains now anyway, can we? No, no, you certainly can't. Well, all being well, Chris, we might see you on Saturday. Well, listen, I say a collective Merry Broadbent and a a happy Tyler Smith day too. Um, Fingers crossed that um, the, uh, the festivities of this week will overlap on Saturday, and we will all be enjoying ourselves uh, a fine Swindon Town invasion of Creepy Crawley. Um, but all that leads me to say is the Sir Tom Broadbent Lounge is an independent Swindon Town Twitter space. Um, as such, the views do not represent those of Swindon Town Football Club or Sir Tom Broadbent himself. It's been our, our absolute pleasure um, to be murmuring in your ear for the last um, two and a bit hours. Um Hope you've enjoyed yourself. And if you're listening to the recorded show, um, uh, thank you very much for joining in. It's always good to have you along for the journey. Um, a, a year is a long time in football. It's been a very, very short time, it feels, um, as we celebrate the first anniversary of the Tom Broadbent Lounge. Um, to everyone that's been part of that journey this first year of our existence, thank you ever so much for for all your kind words, all your support, and more importantly, tuning in. Mm-hmm. Um, can't do it all without you. And we very much appreciate you. So um, anyway, come on, you Reds. Look forward to seeing a few of you on Saturday.